Welcome to Superhero Stuff You Should Know, or Supervillain Stuff You Should Know, as we can call it for this week, as we tackle the 80th anniversary of Two-Face. This is Benman89, and with me, as usual, is Drewface. Drewface. The villain only has to win once. The hero has to win every day. <laughs> I should have given you my coin. So there <laughs> you go. And only uh, once, baby. <laughs> And returning to our show is one of our recurring guests. I may be the man who knows too much about Batman, but he's for sure the man who knows too much about Harvey Dent and Two-Face. It's John Hefner from About Faces. Welcome back. Thank you so much for having me back. This is a really exciting one. Yes. Uh, 2022 is the 80th anniversary year for Two-Face, and we're finally here to talk about the man who never got to play Two-Face, not counting the Lego Batman movie, and that's... Billy D. Williams, and uh, so here we are, the Billy D. Williams uh, Two-Face, The Unmade Plans is going to be the episode for this week, and uh, we've actually, just to give the audience some behind-the-scenes info, we've been trying to do this episode for a while, and it's not John's fault, it's not Andrew or my fault, the fault, in a way, lies with DC, <laughs> so I wanted John on the show to talk about this way Whoa, back in February. You don't say. <laughs> <laughs> DC's had a lot of internal strife. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I wanted to do this. Newsflash! I wanted to do this back in February because you know February 2022. Let's talk about Two Face. This is perfect, and you know everybody on you know among our audience seems to be huge Batman '89 fans. We haven't really had a Two Face focused episode on Billy D. Williams as Harvey Dent from a Batman '89. And we thought, okay, this is going to be perfect. This is when the Batman 89 comic series will be done, and we'll be able to talk about that arc. And then it got delayed. And the next issue was, like, many months later, and we were just like, we can't really do this episode without knowing the full story of this comic. And then August was going to be the last issue, and I was like, this is perfect, because August 1942, that's when Detective Comics 66, where Harvey first showed up, when that was published. So that's going to be great. And then a guy named Sam Hamm wanted to be on the show. And I wasn't going to turn him down, so we decided to wait until we got some more insight from the interview of the writer himself. And here we are. So we finally made it. Uh, So, John, you've been on our show to talk about the obscure Batman comic strip that had a major arc for Harvey Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of his origin. You came on to talk about The Long Halloween, also very Two-Face heavy. So for those who don't know, Two-Face is your guy. He's your top character is the like the the comparison i made in the beginning about like batman's my guy yours is two-face like that, that wasn't just a joke like it actually is true uh so could you speak a bit towards what two-face means to you as a as a, as a character i don't know man and that's that really is one of the hardest questions like i i just when i remember when i was like seven years old i got the batman 89 breakfast cereal which i'm sure you, you oh. might remember <laughs> i don't and think i it, had it but i heard about it yeah yeah. So I can still remember how it tasted. It was, you know, the usual terrible <laughs> cash in cereal. And oh, man. It, just made by, a, syrup. made by a corporation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, it came with a, a mail away for you can get one of three issues of The Untold Legend of Batman by Len Wein Ooh. and Apero. Mm-hmm. And they're like mini or major versions, but with better paper quality than the other ones had. I would, And this was, I never had a comic before. But before that point, like so many kids, I just knew Batman from the TV show, from the Adam West show. Mm-hmm. And I got this book and, and and it was issue number two, of course. And it had um, the whole and the whole rogues gallery. And here are all these characters I never knew about because they weren't in the show. And it gave one of the there was a two face origin in it. And I immediately gravitated to it because like, wait, 
this isn't just a bad guy. This is a guy who was good and Batman feels bad about it. Like, that was really interesting to me as a kid. And growing up, I kept noticing him on the animated series and like, and I started reading comics and I just, I kept being interested in him and I couldn't, and, and it, I couldn't really nail down why uh, for years and years. But I think what really clicked for me was uh, reading um, Demetrius's Crime and Punishment one shot and, and yeah. reading reading um, Eye of the Beholder by Andrew Helfer and Chris Sprouse and reading the original Golden Age stuff, too, because I was I was trying to collect the, you know, the, the classic the, the archives collections back then. And I just found him just so much so, so interesting and complex of how he mirrored Batman. Like, like I was saying before we started recording. Um, so much of what everyone loves about Batman, I saw in Two-Face. And I found his tragedy added a little twist to that that I really found appealing. And I also loved the way he always was so close to redemption. And like, mm-hmm. and then it always kind of got ignored, or sometimes it got ignored, sometimes it got retconned, but most times it just, just kind of went, he's just a villain again. And, yeah. and that sort of gave me a... Um, I don't know. It's like something to chase after to keep seeing. Will they actually do it this time? Will they do it this time? It's, <laughs> it's like a will they, won't they, but for, I don't know, pain. <laughs> and redemption. Yeah. And redemption. Um, and so and I keep, you know, I've gone through so many other phases of, in, of being interested in other characters and I get, I, I get the hyper fixations and um, <laughs> <laughs> to get hyper focused, super obsessed. And then they come and go and then some stay with me more or less. And yet here I am, still just crazy about Two-Face, still interested mm-hmm. in these stories because he keeps evolving. He, the stories keep changing even when they don't change, even when they go back to the status quo. And I keep, um, yeah, I, I just I just, I just, just think he's just, I just, holding up a potato, I just think he's neat. Right. <laughs> and, oh, that's awesome, man. Huh? And you, let's, <laughs> let's say it on air. You like Two-Face more than Batman, correct? Yes, I do. And like I said, <laughs> I, the reason why is because what so many people do with Two-Face is something that really appeals to me. I mean, not to get, just, just to get personal for a second. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of people who write about Batman as, they, Batman is a character who they see has gotten them through trauma, personal abuse, um, horrible situations, and people have looked at Batman as a, an inspiring figure. Whereas um, I, like those stories I mentioned from Two-Face, I come from a background of um, uh, alcoholic abuse, my father. And, I, that, and for me, I saw myself in that in a way no other story I've seen has captured that, that particular that, that, that effect. And I, I, what it, it, that back then was really cathartic to me. And I haven't quite I haven't I haven't really forgotten that because like I said I haven't found anything else that has captured it um just that beautifully and that um with that much truth at least that I recognized. Do you like how tragic he is? Two-Face seems like he's more tragic than the other ones because he's I, he's closer to redemption just so close to redemption all the time, right? Closer than the other villains probably, wouldn't yeah. you say? Yeah, and, I, and the thing is, I, you know, I know a lot of people would say the the appeal is the uh, the Sisyphusian pushing the rock up the hill and then go up, it goes back down again. And that's they'd say that's the appeal. Uh, as I'm getting older, I'm like, can he just be happy? 
I, I, I'm, you know, I'm. He he could still be Two Face. He could just mm-hmm. he could be an unreliable anti-hero, anti-villain, um, wild card character. But like, I'm I, I I'd be happy with the Rock staying up there at least for a little while. You know, mm-hmm. which is why this year has been really interesting because this has been a weird, wacky year for Two Face stories with Babin eighty nine being one of the one of the highest ones, but also what's happening in canon. It's just, it's <laughs> yes. th- there's some nutty stuff happening right now. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you say it'd be, it might be off character though, if he, if he was happy more than half of the time. Oh, I'm sure he'll see, he, he'll still suffer. Some he'll way. find a way. To, yeah. He'll find a way to inflict pain. <laughs> like, life <laughs> life kicks know. him down the stairs constantly. It'll yeah. keep doing, it'll keep doing it. He could just be maybe a little bit more mentally healthy or a little bit more um, at peace with, with some of his trauma. And then he can mm-hmm. just get the, his, the crap kicked out of him all the time. You know. Yeah, it's like with Batman, he can still be in love. He can still be in a relationship with Catwoman. He can still have healthy relationships with his sons, with Robin, but he doesn't exactly. necessarily need to be so healthy that he doesn't even need to dress up in a bat suit and fight crime because otherwise you have no comic. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> like, I, I, I firmly believe Batman can be happier and more functional and have relationships and still be the goddamn Batman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think so. I think so, too. Um, with... The we, we're kind of down talking about uh, just two face. It's sort of a two face focused episode, and to me, it was interesting in thinking about this because he's one of the top Batman villains. However, with like in live action adaptations, we've had some fantastic Joker's, Catwoman, Penguin, Riddler's like great variations among great actors. And if we were to rank them, they'd mostly be in like S and A tier more or less. And then we get to Two Face, and that's just a character who I think has really gotten the short end of the stick in live action in comparison. Yeah, um, there's totally. just not like if I were to let, let's pull up who we've um, seen so far is, you know, Tommy Lee Jones in Batman forever. Again, fan of the film I have in my usual place, uh, you know, the poster for Batman forever behind us, but it's notoriously trashed because of just how little of the complexity of the character is there. <laughs> that movie's main villain is Jim Carrey's Riddler. Two faces mm-hmm. there because he fits the whole dual identity thing. But I'm at a point where, like, in order for me to enjoy this, I just pretend he's not the Harvey Dent Two-Face. He's one of the imposter Two-Faces in the comics who aren't as complex, whether that's <laughs> sure. Wilkins, Paul Sloan, George. My personal choice to retcon forever is that he's Harvey Apollo from the comic strip where Harvey was a, quote, ham actor who cackles a lot, just like Tommy Lee Jones in this movie. Yeah. And uh, he dies at the end, just like Tommy Lee Jones in this movie. So <laughs> we, yeah. we had a whole episode about it in the $5 Patreon, but... Uh, yeah, he's just he gets the short end of the stick with that. And then Aaron Eckhart in The Dark Knight, to sum it up, great representation for District Attorney Harvey Dent. Poor representation of Two-Face, in my opinion. Uh, again, totally agreed. Totally great agreed. Harvey. Heard several people say that up until the actual explosion and scarring, he seems like he's a bigger hero than Batman in this movie. And yet, it, yeah. it was clear that the Nolans don't have interest in Two-Face. They have interest in Harvey Dent and what he re- represents in the themes. But I, I don't know if you guys have heard this one. But I used to distinctly remember listening to a podcast interview with Jonathan Nolan around The Dark Knight, and they asked, like, well, why'd you kill off Two-Face? And he was just like, well, you know, we thought we, that's all we needed to do with him. What, we were going to have him rob the Second National Bank on a Tuesday or something? And I'm like, well, clearly, if your main exposure to Two-Face is fucking Batman Forever, then if that's all that you thought that was going to happen, then... I guess I can see why you killed him off, but that's really not, like, there could have been so many different things. I know a lot of people in 2008 were talking to me, and they're just like, so 
you don't think Two-Face is actually dead, right? He's going to be the villain in the third movie. And as we saw, that did not happen. So, I still held out hope. I still held out hope. But by the way, I never heard that Nolan story. And uh, you aged me 10 years. Thank you very much. <laughs> I remember at the time, though. I remember at the time they were totally talking about doing, like, for the next two movies. The first movie would it would end with his scarring. And the, mm-hmm. second, and the next movie would be The Rise of Two-Face. And I thought that was a great idea because you had the Joker. But then he, on the, and then the whole third movie would be Two-Face. Mm-hmm. And then we 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 got pain. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we did. Did you feel but, like uh, as Two Face, he got a short shrift because he just didn't have much to do. He didn't really he, do a whole lot. He stopped being. He really stopped being character. And became a plot device. I see. I yeah. think that's a good I mean, way to put it. Because suddenly it's like. Okay, I'm not going to go after the guy who actually blew off half my face. I'm going to go after Gordon's kid. I'm going to try to kill this child. I'm like, right, wait a minute. Right, right. That's <laughs> true. I remember, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember people, I mean, this is going to be maybe controversial because I remember, you know, everyone loved the Nurse Joker scene. And trust me, I loved Heath and Nurse Joker in that scene. Oh, yeah. But mm. when it, I'm, I, people are like, oh, the Joker's a master manipulator weaving these lies and half-truths. And I'm thinking, if I were Harvey the position... In that situation, with the guy who blew up Rachel, and I'm in severe pain from turn uh, from returning down painkillers, I would just be <laughs> not able to listen to anything, just a rabid dog the whole time. <laughs> I mean, right. at that point, he should have just he shouldn't have been listening to anything. He, <laughs> he should he shouldn't have been alive. They even but there is a YouTube edit where. Uh... Harvey flips the coin and he looks up at, at Ledger and then you just hear a gunshot and then it says directed by Christopher Nolan. <laughs> the end! <laughs> They're holding an ending. Huzzah! <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I always I always thought like, uh, is this how he's gonna, he's just gonna listen to Joker and that's how it becomes Two-Face? But uh, again, like great, great Harvey uh, and stuff. It's just to clear that the actual Two-Face as a criminal, as a villain they were not interested in that. And I maintain the yeah. best movie portrayal for Two-Face is neither of these gentlemen. It's William Shatner in Batman versus Two-Face, the animated movie. Check that one out with Adam West in his final Batman performance. Like, that is yes. a Two-Face movie. Absolutely. Uh, as we've talked about before. Absolutely. Uh, so, <clears throat> in general, this character, unfortunately, has gotten a short end of the stick, even though he is one of the most well-known Batman villains. And uh, to sort of epitomize that is the actor who got the short end of the stick, Billy D. Williams, as we're going to talk about for this episode. Uh, before, we, before we get into this, I just mm-hmm. want to say, whenever I, like, when we first started doing this podcast, Ben, and you told me that there was no Batman 89 Two-Face, that's correct, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, not, like, not 89, not 89, uh, 66. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, yeah. I I thought for a second, I was like, I could not believe that because to me, he is like S tier and all the S tiers were pretty much in 66, uh, 66 right? And I mm-hmm. always group them together and I just couldn't believe that because he has such a, such a presence mm-hmm. that... Yeah all the other ones have and the other ones have that presence because they were on 66 but he has the presence even though he wasn't even on the fucking show he was yeah. almost on it right wasn't there a script that you said yeah yeah like? yeah as we went over the uh, the, the different takes some yeah. were better than others but yeah the uh, the harlan ellison one was the the closest to the uh, the actual script and it would be interesting from a 66 lens i just think I that would... says something about two-face you know to have that kind mm-hmm. of presence even without being on that uh, iconic show 
I totally would have accepted the totally wacky script where he was a fashion designer or something. <laughs> I know I'm serious. I'm serious. It was so out there. Mm-hmm. It would have, I mean, it would have changed the character forever. Um, or, or, or I would have had like the uh, Bronze Age people like Danny, like Danny O'Neill who hated the Batman 66 show and its reputation mm-hmm. got, lean even harder into, uh, into the comic roots. But I would have taken mm, it. Maybe. It it was bonkers. It was fun. I I but I mean El Harlan's. I still I I stand by. I when doing thinking about my favorite Two Face stories, I kind of want to include Harlan's uh, two page treatment because he lays out the steps of a perfect Two Face story and what makes him a great character and what his dynamic with Batman is and how it's powerful and just these two pages of a, just a, a cranked out treatment he wrote. Because mm-hmm. the treatment for the sixty six one you're saying. Yeah, yeah, he just yeah, just yeah, a, yeah. just an outline because he, <laughs> Harlan Ellison was an old fanboy he, who remembered this. He actually remembered these stories. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. That, he's definitely drawing off of you know Detective Comics sixty six on, totally. uh, on that one and the original Two Face trilogy and stuff. So uh, he was a big fanboy, and uh, so was Sam Hamm clearly yeah, in this because w- you know Harvey's not in any of the previous attempts of uh, to make a Batman script in you know the 70s and 80s when Michael Uslan was trying to get this off the ground there's no Harvey Dent in the Tom Makewood script the Burton Hickson treatment the Steve Englehart treatments he was untouched by Bob Kane's masterpiece the return of Batman you know <laughs> that we went over um, and it was it's really it's really ham who was just like oh, let me put Harvey Dent in here and it's kind of innovative because there's no Batman year one at this point when ham takes over uh, yeah. script stuff like we don't see the panel of Harvey working with Batman in, in the early days uh, of year one. Long Halloween is many, many years away, too, where that's even more popularized among the um, you know people outside of the even regular comic circles. The main thing that showed that Harvey and Batman were allies was simply the fact that you know Harvey and Batman worked together against Maroney in Detective mm-hmm. Comics 66, and then yeah. just a few panels later, acid hits the face. So, oh, like, my face! It wasn't a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know... Sam Hamm's a big Two-Face fan. He confirmed that in our interview with him. He pretty much adapted elements of the original Two-Face story into his origin for Jack Nicholson's Joker, namely the idea of someone who is initially vain about his appearance and ends up getting disfigured, sort of creating kind of an irony, a psychological effect in addition to a physical one. And I actually like that better for Joker than for Two-Face because we don't really see... It doesn't seem that deep for Harvey to be just like, oh, I was really vain DA and now I'm scarred. Like, that just seems a little bit... It's a, going back in the original stories, yeah. I, I feel like the, the vanity is something that some fans kind of put on him because, like, he's mm-hmm. called Apollo. He's just like, hi, yeah, cameras. Yeah. Yeah. But he, he's more worried about being ostracized from society and from mm-hmm. his, his fiancé than he is about his point. looks. That's and a good I, point. Mm. And that, and I found that to be I, the more I read, I I keep going back to the originals as a really mm. damn solid story. Um, mm-hmm. Even even past you know golden age standards, uh, it's it. And I I think about just the outcast aspect and what that meant back in 1942 as well. That's true. That's true I mean, too. I mean, you you really understand that it's 1942 when literally he can't get an operation because the doctor who can operate on him is in Auschwitz, and you're yeah. like, oh yeah, this is the 40s. Seriously. Oh man. Yeah. And so, you can imagine, and people, of course, were reading. I mean, they they were they were kids of people uh, of the generation that remembered the soldiers coming home from the First World War too. Oh yeah, no, I didn't even think about that. Like in terms of the soldiers coming back, and they're also have been disfigured due to their time in the war. I, I've been I've been hearing, but not able to find accounts of 
um, some of the just the ostracization they felt and how it broke up some families too. Uh, and of course, yeah. on top of that, you got the trauma and the complete lack of decent mental health care back then or any understanding of that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. it's 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 very. I find it really interesting to consider what it would have meant for him at that point to have been That's scarred. True. We're in a very different point now, so that when reading back, I can see how, like, oh, he just seems more vain than usual compared to, like, 1940s, where he's just like, oh, you're fucked, dude, when it Mm -hmm. comes to your face. So, yeah, no, I I hadn't even thought about that, the connection to, like, wartime at that time. Yeah. Uh, But that's a great Mm. point. Um, Ham is also the first, it seems, to create the instance of Harvey Dent and Bruce Wayne as friends, something that got lost in the film, and it was in the script written before Bill Mesner Loeb decided to... Uh, do something similar in his comic strip that uh, we went over with John last year, uh, in itself likely inspiring the friendship in the Batman animated series, as well as the Telltale games. Sadly, not in the movies. Uh, There's nothing to really contradict the fact that Harvey could be friends with Bruce in 89, given the fact that he is at the party at the house. It's just never, they never have a scene together. Um, But uh, it does seem that Ham was playing with that idea. It didn't get into the movie, but Bill Mesner-Lopes ended up having a similar idea for that comic strip. You can check out our episode with John on that, the original Batman 89 sequel, along with our interview with Bill himself, where he went a little bit into uh, that choice. Um, But I thought it was interesting in our interview with Sam Hamm, um, and I'm curious what uh, your reaction to this too was, John, when you saw the interview, but uh, Sam said that he was always tripped out that uh, the party in Wayne Manor in 89 is not... Uh, the campaign party for Harvey Dent, like he originally wrote, it's for the anniversary celebration. Uh, and I always thought that was that when he said that, I'm like, oh, that is kind of true. That is kind of funny and stuff. Even though it, it makes sense in the movie where he's already been elected DA, so why would he need a campaign thing? But yeah, sure. Uh, it, it it still would have had a bit of a subtle, more subtle hint to the friendship, as opposed to the movie. You could also just read it that Bruce Wayne's placard is in that opening speech thing just because he's Bruce Wayne, not necessarily because he's personal friends with him. Um, Harvey's role in Ham's script wasn't necessarily bigger than the movie, but it did feel more significant to the story. There's a scene in which Harvey Dent pushes, you know, the rest of the city officials to pay the Joker and make a deal Mm -hmm. with him so that they can save lives and have him stop attacking the city. Obviously, that doesn't work out, but Harvey couldn't have really been blamed for that. But the biggest deleted scene is one I've brought up before where Bruce tries to convince Harvey to raid Ace Chemicals or to stop the, the, you know, anniversary celebration. Harvey questions how Bruce even knows that Joker's at Ace Chemicals and working from there and says, quote, I'm just a DA. I don't have access to all your expert sources, which seems to imply that Dent knows that Bruce is Batman. And when we asked Sam Hamm that, he confirmed for us that it's, it's one of those lines that's supposed to make the audience think but wasn't necessarily, like, I don't know how much he was planning to go through that. In the Batman 89 comic, clearly, like, Harvey does not know until way after he's Two-Face that Bruce is Batman. Uh, But I thought that was, that's always an interesting scene that jumped out at me. uh, Totally was. I know, Uh, yeah, I I remember reading that script uh, myself years ago and just being, Mm -hmm. like, just giddy at that scene. (laughs) Just, just giddy. I loved it. And I was just, ah, ah, what we could have had, man. <laughs> what we could have had. Especially if you envision, like, them actually shooting that, that making it to the final script. They're at Pinewood. It's Keaton and Billy D. Williams actually having a scene together and stuff. And Billy D. kind of doing that scene, hinting that, like, he, so he sort of knows. If they keep that in, 
you have audiences kind of expecting to put them in 89 terms. It was like, what, Lando knows Bruce is Batman? We got to get more on this. You know, like, yeah. they'd want to see more uh, of that. Like, what's going on there? Uh, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to, I was just going to say that, you know, just, I totally agree with everything. And I thought really Ham's interview was so fascinating for so many damn reasons. And of <laughs> course, everything you brought up here specifically, because I mean, I, I'm trying to think about one of the things being, you know, hyper-focused on this single character that I am, I, I mm-hmm. struggled to, to maintain objectivity. And like, objectively, I think, I suppose it does make more plot sense to keep the focus for the uh, fundraiser on the the whole plot point of the parade. The anniversary, yeah. Sure. Because it takes away from, because it with Harvey being Crusader going after Grisham, well, that subplot just kind of only serves to the for the Grisham subplot, which goes away once Grisham's dead. And then it, <laughs> yeah. it Whereas it dies pretty quickly. Whereas the fundraiser goes all the way to the end. So Mm -hmm. I get that. I get that. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, grr. (laughs) (laughs) Of course you would want more Harvey. Cater to my wishes. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly. Uh, Let's talk then about the casting, as it's not indicated in Sam Hamm's script that Harvey Dent is is black. Uh, And it seems like, you know, a little bit more common now in 2022 for there to, you know, do the, the whole race swap to be more inclusive. Yeah. Uh, but this is 1989, and the main time I can think of where there was something like this happening was Batman 66 with Eartha Kitt as Catwoman, yeah. which, of course, carries over now into, like, Zoe Kravitz and uh, Asana Lathan and um, the, Harvey, uh, the Harley Quinn show. And I just, mm-hmm. I thought, okay, what what can I find on this? And uh, strangely, I can't find anything about Harvey Dent's casting. There are rumors online of different actors who were considered like Don Johnson, apparently, but I just, I don't put, I don't buy a lot of that because I really don't buy the fact that they put a lot of thought into Harvey Dent, unfortunately, because this is 1989 we're talking about. This is not the era of the MCU where they cast you in the first movie to hint that maybe you'll be, you know, in costume in the second movie. Or in War Machine's case, they cast you in the first movie and then they hint you're going to be in the costume, but then they replace you and that guy's in the costume. But uh-huh. still, like, I, I feel like Sam Hamm's the main one who's behind the scenes of this show, who knows Harvey Dent's going to be a Batman villain. And then he tells Tim Burton, who's like, oh, that's cool. And then Tim Burton tells <laughs> Billy D, and then that's pretty much it. Like, I, I don't think there's, an, there's a Warner Brothers exec being like, ah, yeah, sequel potential. Lando's the villain of the next movie. Like, I don't, I don't well, think anybody knew that. Well, like Ham was saying, they weren't really expecting it to be a blockbuster. That too, that too. Um, but it's all, yeah. and also Harvey wasn't known by a generation of people who the in mass audiences. So he was a blank slate for most people. Hell, he was a blank slate for a lot of comic fans too. He was he's um, he was pretty much just known for by the uh, the, the hardcore uh, Batman fans at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he was he was a pretty he was a, a blank slate. You could they could have cast pretty much anybody, and no one would have no one would have pointed out or complained. Everyone's so focused on. The miscasting, uh, air quotes, if you're for listening, of, oh, yeah. Ke- of Keaton mm-hmm. and Jack's p- sheer star power. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they could have done anything they wanted with him. And it's interesting that what they went with was Billy D. Williams. And yeah, that was it. It that was super interesting, and obviously it is still interesting because that's what we're talking about. <laughs> right. General Eventually. public at the time did not know. Who Two Face was probably either, right? Because he was not in no. the sixty six show. Exactly, exactly. No. So like, there might be like, in, if the average theater in Batman in eighty nine watching this movie, there might be like two people in the audience who are just like, ah, Harvey Dent, and then everyone else is just like, oh, cool, it's Billy D. Williams, he's in this it, movie. 
it's like the nerds who um in watching Batman Forever, you'd hear a titter of one or two people when they'd mention Metropolis. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and now there'd be a couple people going, oh, I know what that is. I think, I think now people who might be watching 89 for the first time, let, let's say that they've seen the Christian Bale movies and now are, are watching, you know, going back to watch the older ones, they're going to have more reaction now than people did in 89 because they're just like, oh, wait, Harvey Dent. Like, that's in the, the Dark Knight movies. There was a Harvey Dent in this one, too. That's cool. Like, that's that's the reaction that we get. But in 89, it was probably more reacting to Billy D. Williams, if anybody, in terms of like, I know that guy, but not necessarily the character he played. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's really interesting. Again, he's a very early, like, Easter egg, hint at the sequel type role, even though he didn't actually get to play the role in the sequel. Um, Billy D is on record saying he only had a one picture deal for this. Like he, he did not sign a multi picture deal, which makes sense because they did like John said, and as Sam Hamm mentioned, they didn't know that this was going to be a hit. Yeah. You know, this was a risk yeah. for them. It was not guaranteed. There was going to be a Batman too, which is insane these days when there's like a million different Batman, uh, on screen right now, but it's, it, it wasn't guaranteed at all. And I think it, there was just kind of general hope that like, uh, like maybe at some point we'll bring this character in. And I think Billy D was hoping for that. When he got the part, he knew at some point that, uh, you know, Two-Face could be on the table. But, you know, there's there's all these rumors and talks about, like, his contract getting bought out and stuff. And he's on record being like, no, I fulfilled the contract. It was just that one movie for, like, you know, three minutes of screen time. That's yeah. it. And Schumacher also saying um, that he just did, couldn't visualize Billy D. Williams as a villain. He saw him as a lover, as a hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, yeah, yeah, he I got that quote, he, too. Uh, in terms of seeing him as like, oh, I saw him as a hero, as, as Clark Gable type of thing. And so he just yeah. never really considered Billy D for that. And I think in the lens of 2022, people are just like, wait, so he, he replaced a black man with a white man? That's racist. But I'm just like, well, if you look at the lens of 1995, he is Schumacher, uh, you know, kind of ha- having an idea for a Batman villain for his friend, Tommy uh-huh. Lee Jones, who he just worked with on The Client uh-huh. and stuff. And again, in... Even now, today, Harvey Dent is still a white man in the comics. So, like, it's not really that much of a stretch to, to, for him to consider uh, an actor whom he already worked with for a role that maybe a lot of people, especially in 1995, didn't even remember was played by Billy D. Williams in 1989. Yeah. yeah. So, Schumacher was kind of a reboot anyway, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Like, not even to Michael Uslan. The, that casting too much, but, yeah. <laughs> you know. But even Michael Uslan. Uh, has said that he he's never really seen the Burton and Schumacher movies as part of the same like universe or continuation I, yeah, off each I, other. I think it's easy to say that Schumacher there's a Schumacher verse, right? That's just different. Yeah, at, at this point, and I think it became solidified once um, once this came out, once the comic came out. It's like it's called Batman '89. It's got Billy D. Williams as Two Face. It's got a different Robin. <laughs> like we were holding our copies oh, in front man. of the camera. Oh, man, I have it. I, I, here, Karate Kid, yeah. this is what we got. Here. Nice! Cobra Kai! Cobra Kai, baby. Cobra Kai never dies. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, at the time, in the 90s, it was originally meant to be a continuation. Uh, in some ways, it's just, again, I just don't think people, people were just not as into continuity of different movies as before. Like, we no. had The Bachelors on for our podcast. And not once did they mention, like, we wanted to honor Billy D. Williams in this role. Man, I don't think they even remembered Billy D. Williams was in that role when they wrote the wrote it in the first place. Because, again, it's a different time. People, We don't have fan wikis in 1990s yeah. saying, like, oh, yeah, Harvey Dent was in this movie. This just didn't happen. If people noticed uh, him at all, it was because he was Billy D. goddamn Williams. 
exactly. They would, they, yeah. they would have noticed him from, of course, Star Wars, but he was, you know, famous for for other things. Um, famous mm-hmm. for his career, especially in the seventies, and Brian's song, and mm-hmm. and mahogany, and then something of course, like Colt forty five commercials or and, something. And the famous, quotable, rather sketchy Colt 45 commercials, yes. Only reason I know about that is watching a lot of Kevin Smith over the years, man. Like they, <laughs> he keeps they talking bring, about that. They bring that up, dude, because that's that stuck, stuck in people's minds. Uh, it's a little, yeah. little bit before my time, but I'm aware. Well, it was an effective ad campaign, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Um, I literally, I literally, when I was trying to deep do a deep dive on um, Billy D. Williams stuff, because mm-hmm. um, I was so excited, waiting, waiting for the next issue of Batman '89, I went, I need to watch Billy D. Williams stuff and get into it. I literally tried to find Cold Forty Five and could not. I could Has not. It just I been taken off man. YouTube. Well, no, no. I mean, no. The the ads are there. I, I meant, I meant to actually drink it too. Oh, it's just, yeah. Oh, you just get the yeah. full yeah. get the full experience. <laughs> you wanted to get, you were gonna buy it. You should. I was, <laughs> Oh, if you just had that while you're reading a Two Face comic, like, oh my god, <laughs> but, hey, this hey, is the no. life right here. But <laughs> one of the, the most recent issues to have a comics, um, he was um, seen drinking a Bombay Dry, and I was intrigued by that because no one, because Bombay Dry is the gin that's you know a step beneath the famous Bombay Sapphire. So I went, hmm, I am. I am the highly suggestible type. I will try that. And I, and I had one when the next issue came out. Wait, so what what uh what drink do you think Two Face or do you know Two Face drinks? What is okay. it like? Oh man, we're, if you're asking this sort of thing, honestly, I it's hard to say because I still like I said, I love the I love the backstory of his father being an alcoholic. Oh right. Okay. And every so often we see uh, stories yeah. with Two Face drinking. And, you know, when I was younger and I when I tried rebelling again, I tried I tried being, you know, a straight edge Captain Buzzkill judging everyone for having a good time. I didn't want Two Face drinking. I didn't like that either. Uh, but you know, <laughs> I've loosened up since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously. And because uh, I had a Bombay Dry, <laughs> and, uh, don't worry, I'm still very uptight in other ways. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> oh, good, good, good. And I, uh, I don't know. You know, I, it's, I really, I see two. You know, of course, um, Aaron Eckhart taking a shot. I think about that, and I think I see other stories where he's drinking, and I wish more stories would try to grapple with that. But again, that's mm. just that's this is. I, this is my personal thing of wishing they would draw from that kind of backstory more. Is that just had not all of them have that? Very few. Like, very is he few. a whiskey guy? Is he a vodka guy? It's a, you know, it, you know. I I I like to imagine that that you know we could have Two Face be the hard liquor type, the burning, the scotches, the even maybe uh, the gin, the tequilas, and Harvey drinks girly drinks. Like he'll get the daiquiri with the big with the big umbrellas. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh-huh. That's cool. That's uh, yeah. That's that's great. Yeah, that's great. That'd be it'd be really stupid if that happened in the story, but I'd still I'd still laugh. I'd still I go fine. I love it. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not oh, saying it's I a good it's idea. Good. It would amuse me. I forgot. Does Tommy Lee Jones have two different drinks? He, he sure does, and I wish I knew what <laughs> okay. they were. But that, okay, he's yeah, ju- yeah, I thought he's for just, sure. Yeah, he's just sipping them like a boss who just does not care that Batman just stole his thunder with his awesome entrance. <laughs> right. He's got That's two awesome. drinks, and sipping them both. Yeah. Showmanship. So, 
<laughs> yeah, no, that that is a great point about the uh, the alcoholism with with Harvey and Harvey's father. But you know, as we said, like that's not with every backstory. Turned out not to be part of Billy D. Williams's Harvey backstory, in, and we go by the comic, which is which very we, interesting. If we if we get into that, because I was so so interested in oh, like, yeah. how he, how he subverted that and, and yeah. changed that. <clears throat> no, for sure, for sure. Uh, but uh, back to Billy D. I think the the only thing I could find about his casting was Tim Burton in the Batman 89 commentary. And I don't know if you've heard about this one, John, or heard it yourself, but um, he says, quote, in the commentary, Burton says, quote, I love the idea of somebody like him because then you could do a black-white thing. Again, the duality thing, which is so crucial to the Batman material. This implied to me partially, because, you know, Burton can be very rambly and stuff and not really the most mm-hmm. verbose about his ideas, but, like... If we're going back to the original quote, I love the idea of somebody like him because then you could do like a black and white thing. Does he mean like literally can do a black and white thing? Does it mean that like when Harvey gets scarred as two faced, the other side is is white? Yeah, like, Tim, what could that, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, Tim. Well, <laughs> that, was a star, that was a Star Trek episode anyway, wasn't it? Yeah, the, the Frank yeah, Orson. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, Ham already made it pretty clear that Tim was more of a vibes guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we know he's good at atmosphere. So he sounds the, like you're not a fan of this idea, John. <laughs> I, no, I mean, uh, look, I, as a, one one thing that made that made Batman A Nine that this 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 book so Peter has an opinion. Good, good. Oh, oh, hey, I'm surprised my cat. Any my, my cat hasn't come made an appearance yet. We'll, we'll, oh, we'll give it time. But what made the comic so interesting is just how it really embraced him being black, and did yeah. something so interesting with it that wasn't a gimmick it was so rooted in character and the world building and the city code switching and, that kind of thing that, too. that aspect yeah i know you like exactly. that a lot too andrew yeah exactly. yeah that that oh man yeah that's it's perfect that's the kind of thing is yeah. perfect at least Brilliant. from my perspective <laughs> you know yeah yeah <laughs> uh, yeah obviously you and yeah. i you and i we, we yeah. i mean we're, well, we are too, limited, our, <laughs> like yeah. everybody on this show right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is also but. a reason. It's also a reason why uh, I have been and will be uh, uh, um, hesitant about going too far into reading too much into things because I would love to have. I, w- I mean, I, if this were a movie, there would be so many mm-hmm. think pieces. There would be think pieces about it. People mm, would be yeah. analyzing um, the complexity. I, I, I believe they would be analyzing the complexity of Harvey's character, his motivation. And that, and how his motivation changed even before he became Two Face, and his his methods, his behaviors, his whole backstory, I think is just so rich for someone better than me to discuss it, mm. better suited than me to discuss it. But uh, because it's a comic, it it just sort of I I didn't really see much in the way of really good commentary about as deep in, into that as I really wanted to see. Right, right. It's just, uh, you know, just a few, just a few reviews out there, and some asshole doing the occasional video essay on Easter eggs and stuff. Yeah. So, <laughs> what kind uh, of loser? Yeah. Do? <laughs> do that. Some jackass <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> yeah, some jackass on the internet. That's it. <laughs> oh wait, that's me. Uh, so, oh, Billy D. Um, Billy D. Has uh, a few sound bites as well about uh, his approach to the role, saying that he envisioned. Is Harvey to be uh, similar to politician uh, Adam Clayton Powell, uh, mm. which is interesting, uh, describing him as kind of a playboy and flamboyant character and sort of somewhat based his performance off of him. Uh, mm. So I thought that was an interesting tidbit as well. It kind of ties into what ends up happening in the Batman 89 comic. And 
in terms of his role in the movie. Again, like it's a very small role. It's 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 like bigger than what you would say call a cameo, but not so big that you would really call it much of a supporting role. He's yeah. already been elected DA, so it's kind of implied to be set after November election. He announces he's going to take down Grissom. Obviously, that doesn't happen because Joker takes care of that. Um, mainly seen in scenes with um, the mayor in discussing the celebration, trying to keep the festival going despite Joker's threats. And then at the end, he reads Batman's letter about you know giving people the the signal. So uh, you know a big question comes up sometimes, uh, and this is one that you've tackled uh, sort of offline with me, John, in our discussions. But sometimes the question comes up. Well, we've seen Billy D. Williams as Harvey Dent, but could he have been a good Two Face though? Like mm-hmm. he's mostly known among Lando, among fans as Lando Calrissian yeah. in Star Wars, and that's not necessarily an audition to play a Batman villain and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, he's working with the Empire, but he's not like an out and out like you know Batman villain material in that. And it's not a, a really a question that um, I had thought that much about until that was brought up, and and then you contacted you contacted me, John, with just like, hey, like you've been looking through. Billy D. Williams' filmography, and you recommended a few movies that show off his range that kind of could show that he was capable of playing Two-Face. So I thought we could dive a little bit into that because I I saw uh, two of the movies you recommended, the first one being The Final Come Down, a very uh, young Billy D. Williams, as we see here. There was no stash at this time. This is how early it is. Uh, This is a very heavy film on, uh, on race relations. He plays an extremely angry man, an activist for black people in his community, and it's because, you know, uh, of it, it's definitely a different Billy D. Williams than what most of us have seen in Star Wars, where he's just a very smooth, calm, I'm Lando Calrissian, like very much like he's got most of his shit under control. But in the final come down, he's, he's very much the, you know, young, hot-headed character and stuff. It's really interesting to see. Uh, Ferocious performance, fantastic performance. And, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, really. For sure. It was it was a real gem. I'm I'm really glad I discovered that. I'd love it. I, and I've talked it up to a few of my friends. I was I I'm surprised it's not more well known. Yeah. No. It's it's one where I'm just like, how have I not heard of this movie? When I saw it, like I, yeah. I was just, it's especially given like we know Billy D. Williams, but he was still like a known commodity before Empire Strikes Back. So it's like, well, it's kind of weird now that in 2022, most of us just know him as, you know, Lando. But like he had, he had a whole career before he even, you know, stepped foot onto the, you know the whole Star Wars space. So it's uh, called this the was, come down. Yeah, the final, the final come, come down. The final oh, come down. The final come down. And what uh, year? Looks like mid seventies, maybe. Yeah, seventy two uh, or no? Actually, it was like seventy. It was seventy one, I think. Thereabouts. Nineteen seventy two is what I found. Seventy two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, yeah nineteen seventy two for that one, and then uh, the other one we've pulled up is Mahogany in which he plays uh, a guy running for office who at one point gets milk thrown on half his face. Yeah. Kind of and foreshadowing. Sna- and snaps. He snaps. And snaps, like, of course. Wow. Like, that's really perfect, honestly. Yeah. He's, and he's, he's so smooth and he's cool and he's righteous in that, then, you know, in that, yeah, yeah. He, in, in that he was just totally a crusader for reform. But then he gets the milk thrown on his face by, um, by uh, hecklers and he snaps just like mm-hmm. uh, the animated series Two-Face. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Man. It is like that scene. Yeah, yeah. And then there's the... So this is... <sighs> Mahogany is an extremely weird movie. Oh, it sure uh, is. As well, where I'm just like, oh, this is like a nice romance thing. And then Anthony Perkins shows up, <laughs> mainly known as Norman Bates. And, yeah. like, he's he's not quite... Like, 
he's not really acting like Norman Bates, but he's still very much like a villain who wouldn't be out of place in a psycho movie outside of yeah. being Norman Bates. And like he has a fight with Billy D. Williams, and it very much feels like Billy D is fighting the Joker at yeah. one point. I'm like, this is weird. And this is supposed to be just a romance movie starring Diana Ross. Is yeah. it weird like, because like, the plot's this? hard to follow? It's like a David Lynch kind of thing almost. Or like what it's makes not, it weird? It, it, the there's the tonal shifts. Where yeah. it's just oh, like, oh okay. this is a nice like romance between Diana Ross and Billy D. Williams. Meanwhile, this guy's crazy. Some people okay. call it a, some people call it a camp classic, and I'm not sure if that is exactly right, but it definitely has elements where it veers into a bizarre territory tone wise. And Perkins, who it was a fantastic actor. I love oh, yeah. Perkins. Mm-hmm. But it, he he um was just he was in he Billy Williams and Diana Ross were all in three separate movies. They were all <laughs> acting in whole different movies and then having to interact with each other. Is that a directing issue you think or was that on I purpose? Think, I think it was cocaine. <laughs> I think it was Mounds cocaine. of cocaine. Yeah. This must pro- have been the eighties, Malmo seventies also. It was the follow up for Diana Ross and Billy <clears throat> Williams and the director to the, the really successful Billy Holiday biopic Lady Sing the Lady Sings the Blues, which was mm. pretty. Uh, it was it was. I saw that at first, and it was very good and very much a a, a, a by numbers biopic. It hit the usual, uh, the, the the life story notes, um, but it was more, way more straightforward as a story. And then mm-hmm. th- this was the follow up, and it was. I don't think it was as successful. I think people for a, um, a while were definitely remembered. They certainly remember remembered Billy D. Williams being mm-hmm. charming and sexy in that, but uh, it 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 has it has more of a uh, a strained reputation for being over the top and weird, and uh, yeah, that's that's it. Just that's feels like I'm in a romance. I'm in a thriller. I'm in a romance. I'm in a thriller now. I'm like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> like it, yeah. it just goes back and forth so much. And as you said, like all the three leads are in three different movies. Yeah, it's a it'd be a great movie to watch with friends, you know, to, just, <laughs> to see the reactions as the stuff happens in it. Because yeah, it's it's it was it was a trip. It was a with trip. Friends and with some Donna Chronic. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, Gotta love also it. Uh, the fact that he's giving big speeches and has his face like this is basically a very foreshadowing of Batman '89 here uh, with uh, Brian Walker as opposed to Harvey Dent. Uh, complete with the you know the black and white photo of his face behind him, which I know yeah. it's, it's a trope of politicians, so but King, still, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's ironic too. I've told this, uh, I've told this off the air uh, to you, John. But like a lot of the criticism on the Batman '89 comic is that like, oh, like you know they made Harvey Dent way too political, and I'm like, compared to what Billy D. Williams used to play. Like he's always like in the seventies, he's playing activists towards like progressing equality for African Americans. Like that's what he was mainly known for before the pe- Lando. The people who badmouthed um, Batman eighty nine's Harvey Dent would crap their pants if they saw the final comeback. <laughs> yeah, <I know>. absolutely <laughs> crap their pants. Every scene is about how black people are getting fucked over. Like yeah. every scene is about that. Yeah. Uh, and stuff. So I'm just like, what we got in Batman 89 is extremely light compared yeah. to what Billy D used to be in uh, in the old days. So, um, you know, after seeing these movies you recommended, um, I mainly saw these two. I think there were others that you, you mentioned to me that Billy D has been a part of, but you didn't recommend them as strongly for demonstrating Harvey traits um, and stuff. But Sam uh, Ham brought up brought up one called Hit. Hit! Exclamation oh, yeah. point. Yeah, and Richard I, Pryor. I, 
I was delighted he brought that up because that was great. I love that too. But it, it's not he he didn't get to show off his stuff as much. It was a pretty it was a good intense role. He played a he played a cold hearted bastard who got who got shit done, mm-hmm. um, and was manipulative to his own team that he was gathering. It was it's a good film. It's it's good and, and mean, but. Um, and that was my first indication of seeing him as a leading man, what he, what mm-hmm. he could have done. But then I saw other films and we, he went even further, <laughs> right. went even deeper. Yeah. I definitely want to check that one out too. Cause I, I like the, the general idea of that one. I think I saw a clip where he recruits uh, Richard Pryor's character, which is, you know, it's, it's very much like, Oh, it's Harvey Dent recruiting Gus Gorman from uh, Superman three. <laughs> But yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's a, uh, it's because uh, I'm just like Richard Pryor and Billy D. Williams collaborated. What? <laughs> like a, that seems like an interesting combination. So uh, Pryor, Pryor did some great dramatic work in that, and Lady Sings the Blues. He does. He he's oh, heartbreakingly yeah, he's good in Lady Sings mm-hmm. the Blues. He, yeah, and it's, it was it's it's really cool seeing them play off each other. I'll have to check that one out too. But this yeah. is, yeah, this is this is just shows that Billy D. had the range when you look at stuff that's not Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, <laughs> like stuff yeah, that yeah. is outside of of Lando. Because it just it occurred to me, I'm just like, well, what else have I really seen him in outside of these like genre, like these big fandom movies? Not really much. And and it turns out that like this guy is way more talented and has a lot more acting range than what we saw in either of those roles. So uh, you know, it's it's a testament that the they did actually pick the right guy in Batman '89. Ironically given the fact that they probably didn't put a lot of thought into it. And well, uh, and I think even at the time, like with like that Schumacher quote, I think Billy Dee Williams became trapped in his, um, his own a victim of his own success for being known for being suave and mm-hmm. being, being, a, um, an icon of sexiness and coolness mm-hmm. and charming. And that I think made people, um, just overlook or just forget that he actually had more range and could do more stuff. And mm-hmm. I, th- I think he was also pretty comfortable in the roles he was getting too. So he probably, sure. I, don't, I don't know how much he paying off the to mortgage it. probably helped. Yeah. He had, he had built, he had bills to pay. He had bills <laughs> right. to pay. So, uh, so while Billy D only got to play the role in live action in 1989, that doesn't mean we're done talking about him. We'll cover the truth behind how they almost brought him back in the sequels after the break. Just wanted to announce that I have a new podcast called Gaming Gaiden. It's about retro gaming. It's a lot about Japanese to English translation in this first season. It will be 10 episodes each season. First season will be dropping soon, much sooner than I'm on a recon. The co-host for this one will be Mike Torres. If you saw the ranking, every Superman video game two-parter we did here on Superhero Stuff You Should Know, you have seen Mike before. So yes, if you like video games, if you've been interested in Japanese ever, we're going to be talking a lot about just Japan in general, Japanese cultural differences as well, and we also are going to have a lot of talk about 90s video game magazines such as Electronic Gaming Monthly, aka EGM, so stay tuned for that. So please be on the lookout for Gaming Gaiden Podcast coming soon. Ellen, in 15 seconds, what is Nice Games Club? It's our game dev podcast. Steven, help! Game mechanics, accessibility, art and animation, level design, prototyping. Everything that goes into making video games. How's that, Mark? Nice. Listen to Nice Games Club wherever you get your podcasts or at nicegames.club. Need some adventure in your life? 
What Mad Universe is a podcast where two guys delve into the history of sci-fi, fantasy, and horror, and the impact it's had on pop culture. Everything's the same politically, but we have ray guns. The, the actual motive isn't to explore something that's, quote, yeah. scientifically possible. Or... But neither is Star Wars, and I know there's arguments about that, but I would definitely consider Star Wars science fiction. You haven't it's... read Dune! You have, no, I haven't. You can never be the Kwisatz Haderach. What Mad Universe on the HyperX Podcast Network. What's that? majestically cresting the horizon as it makes its way into port. Why, it's the brand new HyperX Armada monitors, mounts, and arms. Both the HyperX Armada 25 and 27 gaming monitors come bundled with a sturdy HyperX Armada mount and arm. If you need every split second of advantage when gaming, the Full HD Armada 25 and its 240Hz refresh rate are for you. If you like to soak in the graphical majesty of your gaming, you'll be eyeing the Quad HD Armada 27 with an 165Hz refresh rate. Set sail for HyperX.com or Amazon.com to start making your display armada. HyperX has refined their lightweight Cloud Stinger headset and now proudly presents the evolved Cloud Stinger 2. It still keeps the same rotating ear cups, swivel to mute microphone, and comfort, but now adds two years of premium DTS headphone X activation. Get even better in-game audio and a number of other refinements for the low, low price of $50. Available now at HyperX.com. Hey, this is Cole Vallis, Tommy Elliott, and Hush from the Fox TV show Gotham, and you're listening to Superhouse. Everything you need to know, Batman. We're back for part two in talking about the unmade plans for <laughs> Billy D. Williams' Two-Face. See what I did there? Uh, <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> Once again, uh, we'll talk about what they had in store for Billy D. Williams' Two-Face uh, after Batman 89, because clearly there was somebody championing championing for Two-Face to be part of it, and that person, of course, was Sam Hamm, who figured, you know, it's called Batman 2, guys. So Batman 2, Two-Faced, come on. I already put Harvey Dent in the original movie. But um, one idea that Hamm recently revealed uh, I think earlier this year or sometime last year was uh, a pitch that he brought to producer Mark Canton about um, the fact that they were toying with the idea of bringing Jack Nicholson back as the Joker. And so Ham's like, well, a way you could do it is that it's Harvey Dent in a courtroom where they wheel in the man who's you know on the defense, who's a man in a body cast, who turns out to be the Joker. And it would be revealed that Jack's Joker survived the fall because this is a comic book movie. Uh, and this is shown here by our fan and patron, Logan Wood. Uh, Joker believes Batman is somewhere in this courtroom, and so he sets off a bomb, blowing himself up, which scars Harvey Dent into becoming Two-Face. Uh, obviously, this was not made, but we can see how this is kind of foreshadowing of an instance where Harvey would have been scarred by an explosion rather than acid, something that harkens back to you know the 50s, where they brought Two-Face back, and you know, the explosion ends up sort of undoing the plastic surgery that was on him and turning him into Two-Face again. Uh, but, of course, this is foreshadowing of what would happen in Batman the Animated Series, uh, The Dark Knight. Like, it seems like they're very uh, acid-in-the-courtroom phobic these days uh, when it yeah, comes to the Harvey why, origin. Batman Forever <laughs> is the only one to do it. Yeah, people make fun of the Batman Forever origin. I'm like, you realize like it's the most faithful Two-Faced origin. <laughs> like we, have ba- we got Batman Forever... And the new long Halloween film being the only ones to adapt the actual acid. 
in the courtroom that I can recall. I don't think I've seen it any other time. Yeah, there's, it's not in the other, like, even Batman versus Two-Face. It didn't happen there. It's, it's another explosion again. Um, but, I mean, it makes, like, you can let it slide a little bit for Batman 66. They have a very campy way to make it happen. Yeah, no, uh, it, it's, again, it, still, it works in the context of its story. I'm cool with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I always thought, I think it's funny how the only, like, in Batman Forever, that's the only live-action Voss Moroni who gets the scar Harvey Dent into becoming Two-Face, which is yeah. like Moroni's main purpose in the comics anyway. And then yeah. any other time they bring in Moroni, he never he never does it. Yeah. Eric Roberts uh, in The Dark Knight, he didn't he doesn't, you know, scar Harvey, you know, uh, Moroni in Gotham dies before he didn't never even meets Harvey Dent. And then that like drove Moroni, me crazy. Yeah, I'm just like, well, what's <laughs> the point of having Moroni if you're not even going to have him scar Dent? And then, you know, we'll see what they do with Matt Reeves, but the, you know, Moroni's name is dropped in um, the movie, who knows if he had a trial with a certain Harvey Dent, but uh, Maroney's name is dropped, but I've, I, I'm not super optimistic we're going to see Maroney in the actual movies to throw the going, acid in, in face. But Going oh back well. to what you were saying before about um, Jim Carrey, I live mm-hmm. in just, and, and also Eckhart, I live in terror that whatever they do with him, he's just going to be there to be secondary to some other main villain yet again. Because you're talking I about in the in the Reeves verse, in the Reeves verse, in the Reeves verse, mm-hmm. because I don't think they can resist the idea of having uh, Harvey Dent as the ally with against the main villain, and then becoming Two Face, then becoming a pawn uh, of the main villain, just like we see we the, the getting overshadowed the way he was by Jim Carrey's Riddler and Heath Ledger's Joker. Mm-hmm. I just I I would love to see someone actually embrace him as you know an actual character in his own right and a lead supporting character and a lead villain at the same time, mm-hmm. but I'm I I'm not too optimistic. Just because of the uh, the nature of just the pattern of this, or because of something specific to uh, the like the Matt Reeves verse in general. Well, I I just mean just 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 the pattern, just the pattern. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't because we just. We haven't really seen anybody who seems to really embrace and understand what can make the character work as both hero and and villain at the same time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love Tommy Lee Jones's Two Face in his own right as a, as a you know late Golden Age wackadoodle character. I, <laughs> I have a I have a blast with him. Yeah, I totally do. Um, yeah, and but I loved it's Aaron, not Aaron the greatest Eckhart's. representation of it. Yeah. Yeah, I loved Aaron Eckhart's Harvey Dent um, with some caveats here and there. Obviously, I'm thinking. <laughs> right. Um, but I, I thought it was a great job. And then of course it out the window. So mm-hmm. I, I've just, like, I, I've just been, I've been burned too many times and I don't, and I feel like people just generally don't seem to see the potential the character has. So, yeah. And it could also just be people are just like, yeah, it's been done before. We don't need to touch the character. And I'm just like, well, I mean, to be fair, if that's your attitude, then good, good thing. You're not touching the character yeah. at that point. Like if they, if their main thing is to. Like, if they're going to bring Two-Face in, but all he's going to do is just be like what you described uh, in terms of a pawn of another villain, then I'd rather they just not, I'd rather they skip him. I'd rather yeah. they just not bring him in uh, yeah, at mean, this point. I mean, I'm not not to keep going, jumping ahead just to what Ham did in Batman 89, but that that's another reason I was just so damn impressed by how seriously and how how focused he was on Harvey then as a character. In mm-hmm. so many, on so many levels, and so in so many ways, when he could, he could, he, he could have done used them for one or two plot themes and ideas, mm-hmm. and he, instead he was a he was one of the richest takes on the character I have ever seen. And yeah, I was just so. I, I, I knew that. for sure you'd go, you were going to love that when I got to the 
those issues. You know, when I when I started reading, I'm just like, oh, this is very Harvey. This is not yeah. super Bruce centric. This is extremely Harvey centric and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll, we'll get I'll get to that. I'll 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 save the rest for uh, <laughs> in due time. In due time. We'll we'll get there in a bit. Uh, so basically, we know this idea did not come to fruition. Jack Nicholson did not come back to being the Joker. Billy Dee Williams also did not get to come back to be Harvey Dent. Instead, the studio was just like, well, the people know Penguin and Catwoman. Those are going to be the villains. You have no say in the matter, Tim. And that's kind of what happened. So Ham never really got to write a full script with the Harvey Dent character. And his actual script with Penguin and Catwoman um, was written. We've gone over it. And I thought it was interesting in our interview with him that Sam Ham just just basically flat out said, uh, I couldn't nail Cat Penguin. Like, I, I just I just didn't have a, a, a finger hold on him. And I thought that was interesting for him to admit because, you know, the Penguin is just not as interesting of a character in his script compared to the Waters one. Um, and as we went over, uh, the next writer was Daniel Waters, one of our other favorite guests uh, this year. And, that was uh, such a blast, such a blast. That was, yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was so interesting and so funny. Uh, thank you. Um, thank in the first you. five seconds of that episode, Waters shoots down the rumor that Christopher Walken's Max Shrek was ever Harvey Dent. So that's been mm -hmm. an internet rumor for years. Water has been on record even before our podcast in it, but check out that interview as well as our video essay, Max Shrek was never Harvey Dent. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> right down to the screaming corpse, which is my reaction whenever somebody seems to insist this is true. Uh, oh, man, but, that's a hell of yeah. a thumbnail, by the way. <laughs> Good <laughs> yeah, job, Dan. Result. Well, this one's, I think this was Zach. That might have been Zach, yeah. <laughs> that might have been Zach. Dan, yeah. let us know. Um, we were but, using this font a lot during the Zach years. Zach, uh, Zach time. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so what was the real role for Harvey Dent? Because it wasn't Max Shrek. Everyone, was just, everyone on the internet seems to think Max Shrek was the original role, that Harvey Dent, I guess, was going to be some sort of abusive boss to Selena Kyle. And then, uh, you know, her tasing him at the end would lead to the scarring. And I'm just like, well... If that ever was true, that would be a terrible way to, to follow up on Billy D. Williams in 89. You've got a guy who's like very much seems like he's a good guy, and it turns out, nah, he's just an abusive boss, and he's an asshole, and he's, well, he's, he's teaming up with Penguin. I'm like, this is a terrible version of Harvey Dent. So, like, I mean, if that was what, ever what, true. What that work. does is, unfortunately, what we're seeing a lot with the way Two Face is being written now, which is, what if he was a Two Face politician? <laughs> which we right. keep seeing, mm -hmm. especially lately. It's what if he was a two-faced politician? So I could easily imagine someone, especially someone who didn't care about the character and wanted to go deal with the basic concept. What mm -hmm. if we took that Harvey Dent from the first movie and revealed that he was two-faced? Ooh, <laughs> I could have believed. I could have believed it on that level, even though it's obviously total, you know, an yeah. urban legend bullcrap. Yeah, yeah. But it, it, it turns out, you know, even though Daniel Waters is on record being like, we didn't follow the comics on any of this shit. Turns out, as we revealed to him in our interview, actually, you kind of did. Some of the DNA of the comics is still in this movie. You just reimagined it in your own, you know, your own way. Daniel Waters like, you fucking kidding me right now? <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't want to be faithful, damn it. I can't believe this. <laughs> Which this is, is hilarious. Because, like, he prided <laughs> he made himself. made his year, I feel like. <laughs> he prided himself too on just like we didn't go on the comics and fuck your comics. I'm just like actually, we have this comic here where Selena Kyle is in the middle of the street, somewhat dying, and the cats are around her. Did you come up with that? He's like, I thought I did, but I guess not. <laughs> oh man, that's just in the DNA of yeah, yeah the, the myth, the myth of the Batman. All of his characters yeah. are just in all of our DNA now. I mean, just even just if look we at don't it. know it. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, just look at the whole, like, Harvey Dent as Bruce is a friend type of situation. We have, like, Sam Hamm writing it in the script in 1986. And then Bill Mesner Loeb's, who probably didn't have access to that script at any point, was just like, you know what? That would be a good idea. And he writes it in the comic strip. And then, you know, we presumed that potentially, you know, Paul Dini and company behind the animated series might have read that. But if they didn't, then you have, like, three completely separate parties coming up with this idea of Harvey and Bruce being friends. So, like, it's yeah. it, it's kind of interesting how these ideas come about. It's sort of just something's in the zeitgeist, and at some point somebody's able to bring it to life, even if other people sort of wrote it into scripts beforehand. Um, so Waters himself, like, I would not have been surprised if Waters in his, like, fuck your comics, guys, type of stage wrote <laughs> a, a draft where Harvey Dent was in the Max Shrek role. That's kind of what makes it sort of a believable rumor. But when he shared his actual role for Harvey, it actually was very, very straightforward and very much what you would think uh, a Harvey Dent role would be, which is that uh, it's his origin story. He would have been caught in a sequence where the Red Triangle Circus Gang is wreaking havoc, as he told us exclusively in the podcast. And during the crossfire, Harvey would have gotten scarred. Uh, And then uh, towards the end, he would have had another scene where you know he's recovering from the scarring and he would see the chaos going on and he would flip a coin and it land on the good side and he would sort of you know wait until the next movie type of thing and uh according to waters tim burton was just like eh <laughs> or as he did in the episode the the thumb going by you know pointing behind him type of thing to, to throw it out and he just nixed the idea because it was mainly it seems like burton just did not want any connection to uh, Batman 89 outside of Keaton, Michael Goff, Pat Hingle, and the Batmobile. And Danny Elfman's, you know, fantastic theme, of course. Of course. So, like, it's it's uh, kind of, an, it's unfortunate, but it also would have really changed Billy D. Williams' Harvey Dent to two-faced transformation if they were never going to follow up on that. And we wouldn't have had this comic to talk about either if they already took care of that. So... Batman Returns went without Harvey Dent, which leads into the third film. Again, internet loves to say that, oh, this is where Tim Burton had a whole script written. He he contracted Billy D. Williams. He had plans for Billy D. Williams to be in a third film called Batman Continues. Again, this is all bullshit. Uh, (laughs) Batman Continues is just a made-up title. The person who wanted to bring Two-Face into this movie was not Tim Burton. It was Joel Schumacher, and he already wanted Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, as we talked about, uh, the idea that Billy D was literally involved with any sort of Batman th- three, a third Batman film, a Batman continues, all that is a myth. Um, and it was down to the bachelors who we talked to on the podcast, uh, who, uh, came up with, you know, the two face for that movie. And, uh, a lot of people feel like Billy D got screwed over by all this, but to be honest, I just... I can't see Billy D. Williams as the Two Face in Batman Forever. I don't think he got screwed over. I think he dodged a bullet. Yeah, but. I know he he I should I actually should have watched. He did one movie that was a a secret agent parody. Um, I think during like the uh, the height of when when after Naked Gun came out, and those kinds of films were hot. He did. Mm-hmm. Um, he did one. I forgot. What, I already forgot what it was called. It was something like like Secret Agent Double Cool or some title like that. And I should have watched that to see what his comedic chops might have been like. Mm-hmm. He's bigger, what he, what he might have done. But, uh, yeah, as as much as I have appreciated his dramatic range, I am not sure he could have – I mean, then again, I could, I'm not sure Tommy I – I, I wouldn't have been sure Tommy Lee Jones could have That's pulled true. that out of him. <laughs> so, so what do I know? What do I know? <laughs> like, I mean, I know Tommy Lee Jones was um, not happy at least being there with Jim Carrey. but He's he, not sectioning the buffoonery. 
I yeah exactly. I am, but I'm 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 happy he he brought as much as he brought to that. <laughs> he didn't sleepwalk through that role. He brought everything to it. God bless him. God bless him. <laughs> yeah, Why won't you just die? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, I just I don't see Billy D. Williams doing this, and if he was, it just it, people I think people would have been weirded out. You know, they would be like, "Wait, so this is why he was in '89?" Like, I think it's it, it it won out. Like, I I think it turned out the way that it should have. Honestly, and the script. Uh, yeah, I mean, you bring up the clients uh, thing. Yeah, um, at that point, the movies were also doing that thing that the show did, which was. Let's get big name stars. That too, yeah. And Tommy Lee Jones was what hot off his Oscar for The Fugitive. Yeah. Um, I remember. I remember. Um, he was when he showed up at the Oscar. At the Oscars, he um he had his head shaved, and it was a whole thing at the time. Yeah, yeah. I think it was for, for a role, or it was, or he wears a hairpiece or something. And Wizard mm-hmm. Magazine, when they announced that Tommy Lee Jones was the Two Face, had a picture of Two Face saying like, "He'd better have hair when he plays me." <laughs> <laughs> uh, he did. It was purple, so it, was, <laughs> so it uh, makes it also makes sense that you get Tommy Lee Jones because yeah. Lee Williams' star was kind of falling by that point. He was doing more and more direct-to-video stuff and TV mm-hmm. work. Um, yeah, and again, they just weren't beholden to continuity. They're already recasting. They're already recasting Batman in this. Yeah, you know, so it's continuity is just not a thing and if, even if it was it's just thrown out the window uh the script that the bachelors wrote was for tommy lee jones that was already like a thing before they even like wrote the first word in the script so there was just never going to they were never going to really carry over billy d williams there were no references specifically to the harvey dent in the batman 89 movie either uh in that script there are there are batman 89 references in the early scripts before the movie uh, was shot, but like it's nothing to like Harvey Dent, no stuff about uh, you know them kind of working together or Harvey supporting him during the events of the Joker attack, like none of that type of stuff. So except for, yeah, we we had, before that we had to go as you know for the novelization by Peter David. Oh yeah, yeah. So oh yeah, yeah. I forgot to ooh. Thank you for reminding me. So the Peter David novelization is the only one that really sort of tries to tie them together, and even then it it ties it into Batman Returns, with uh, Harvey meeting Bruce on a... Uh, not Bruce, but Harvey meeting Batman on the rooftop, uh, and Batman telling Harvey where the Red Triangle Circus Gang is so that his name will be cleared uh, mm-hmm. at the end. Now, it's kind of weird, because now you're kind of picturing... Michael Keaton's Batman in that scene with, yeah. with Tommy Lee Jones, I guess, but it could still be Billy Dee Williams. Like it's kind of, since it's a book, it's up to you who you're casting in this. But you know, it, it very clearly, whenever I read it, it, very clearly shifts from Keaton in that one scene to like Kilmer for the rest of the book. I'll be honest. When I read that scene, I just kind of imagine just a black bat shaped um, shadow mm. because that it felt like Peter David was doing his best to write a comic um, Batman story out of this script. Yeah, that was, that, that. that was my take on it. I could definitely see that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is it's a very special novelization. Peter David, as Andrew says, a friend of our podcast. <laughs> Love him. <laughs> best, best guy. Yeah, it, it, I actually, I wait. I hadn't heard. Is that is that sarcasm? I detect. <laughs> Heavens, no. Oh. <laughs> Okay, okay, I'm going to ask you about that later. <laughs> sure, buddy. <laughs> yes, let's, uh, let's, let's move on, shall we? 
<laughs> I, I'm all, I have also uh, been in um, certain communities that have rubbed shoulders with that with, particular uh, individual. Mm. Yes. Um, mm. So, uh, uh, you know, not rubbed shoulders, you know, uh, clashed a little bit, let's say. I see. So, <clears throat> anyway, oh, I see. Lego. Hey, a Lego, the Lego Two Face, the yeah, Lego Two Harvey, Face, yeah. Harvey Face now, guys, not Two Face, yeah. not not the Two Faces, Harvey Melty Boy. Yeah. For for years, there's been this fantasy of like, well, what if Billy D got to play it, and you know, suddenly that dream was realized in a little movie called the Lego Batman movie, as we're showing uh-huh. right here. Uh, Billy D, unfortunately, the different colored had... hand also. Oh yeah, that's so that's great, great, man. Could be his glove, yeah. It, Whatever it's kind that of, is, it, it it feels a little Batman Forever ish, mainly because of the the color of the hair, you know, yeah. the, the purple. If that, but the actual scarring is like, if you look at them, like Jesus, it's it's like it's close to Aaron Eckhart's with like you see the bone and stuff. Um, it's like so. it looks like they took a magnifying glass to the figure, but the figure also had plastic flesh and a skeleton <laughs> underneath. Yeah, and it's it, it's it's cool how they mix that 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 sense of this is a toy but they're also people and i no, think totally. it's just a, it's a totally inspired as opposed to the lego batman uh the video games where he's just a two-face this is regular two-face yeah this, this is a really inspired design even before you bring in billy d williams but then you bring in billy d williams and it just takes it to a whole other level yeah yeah i just i i <clears throat> i loved that they brought him in even though he has like what like three lines four lines he's like barely in it uh barely but well, all the villains, Still. you get all these big, you got Conan O'Brien there to deliver one single hilarious <laughs> Riddler, line yeah. as the yeah. Riddler. You have, uh, you, you had like, um, uh, what, Killer what, Croc what, has the best one where he like plugs something in. He's like, I did something. I did something. <laughs> <laughs> it was so precious. It's one of the best was... Batman movies, man. It's fucking, <laughs> it really it's an S tier fucking movie, dude. It's so good, man. <laughs> Totally. I, I completely agree. Unironically, completely agree. Unironically, yeah. dude, it's just so yeah. top tier. <laughs> we were ranking in our $10 Patreon, we were ranking the uh, different Batman themes. And then I was just like, eh, I should probably include this one, which is the uh, <laughs> the Who's the Batman song in the beginning. That Batman yeah, the beginning was so and good. And we dude. ranked it as high as the Elfman and the Neil Hefty Batman theme. It was an S <laughs> tier theme. You kind of have to, dude. It's just that good, man. <laughs> It beat out all the Hans Zimmer Batman themes. Uh, I stand by it, man. I just stand oh, by I it. I do dude. too. It's I so too. good. I ain't gonna. I ain't gonna argue. I ain't gonna argue. Oh, it's all one right, of DC's so we... best things in the past twenty fucking years. It is. Uh, so twenty twenty one, we finally get the continuation that we had wanted to see in comic book form, which is the Batman eighty nine comic series. With Sam Ham on writing duties, Joe Quinone is doing the art, and I told Sam Ham in our interview, but Harvey Dent was really the best part of this comic to me. Uh, so let's dive into it. Uh, spoilers, of course, t- for the Batman '89 comic. Though, if you are a listener to this podcast, you've probably read them at least twice already uh, by this point. So, uh, in this version, Harvey is engaged to Barbara Gordon, who's kind of modeled off of Winona Ryder. Which may seem like a stretch in real life, considering how young she was in the 80s, but since it's a comic where the characters are shown at different ages, I think it works. And while it's not a pairing I'd opt for in current continuity, of course, with Two-Face and Barbara, this is a reimagining where Barbara is an adult cop. And it kind of works to tie her into the story, I thought. So, like, it, it was... I didn't hate this choice uh, and stuff. I, You know, I think... Um, the classic is always going to be Gilda Gold, uh, and I know you're a fan, uh, John, of that, but of uh, 
you know, it's a lot of the times in these adaptations, the the characters who are not going to be something or someone end hey, up look, kind of getting the short sword in the stick again. I, I think it's a very interesting to make um, him be with Barbara, considering the uh, friction he has with Jim Gordon. I think that's and, part of it. Yeah. And that brings in a different dynamic, which I'm, I'm just I'm just glad it wasn't another, you know, Bruce Wayne love triangle thing happening <laughs> with Harvey being the odd man out the way we had in, in Dark Knight and also the um didn't that also happen in the Telltale Batman game? Telltale one, yeah. yeah, yeah, with so. Selena, yeah. You're te- you're telling me you didn't want it to be a scenario where Batman wanted to uh, quit and pass it all to Harvey while also stealing his girlfriend? Like, yeah, you didn't think that yeah. was gonna work? I uh, <laughs> not, not not really a fan. Not really a fan. <laughs> Look, I like yeah, I, I love I love the Bat- Batman Harvey relationship as a, as you know as a, a friendship that, that that dynamic. I think that's really mm-hmm. important. Having them be rivals. Eh, I don't care for that. But this was a, this was a really interesting take, and I uh, I really liked how that all worked mm-hmm. out. Yeah, and and Bruce's dynamic with Barbara is very much like Bruce and Gilda or or Bruce and Grace in the animated series. There's no there's no love triangle here. He's he's very supportive. He's trying to be a friend to both uh, in this. So I I thought Ham's characterization of of the Harvey side of things for this was just just very uh, well done here. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen some criticism of this as well. Someone thought that Harvey should be more of a playboy in keeping with Billy Dee's comments about, you know, Adam Clayton Powell and being a playboy figure. But I'm also like, well, it's called character development. Like even uh, Bruce Wayne is considered a playboy and he has a girlfriend in every movie just about. So it, well, does, it doesn't uh, ha- bother me. Ham stuck, ha- Ham put it in there. I mean, as far as I was concerned, it's in there like right from the first page or two. He says, I hey, am not bad looking. Um, <laughs> I mean uh, that he he I think Ham manages to um, put just put enough just put just enough of that in there as well to make it work. I mean this Harvey is juggling many roles at once. Yes. Yeah, He's and I could see him and Bruce in the old days. You know when they're younger, going on like double dates. You know to keep with the totally. the the, uh, the two theme and, and stuff, and you know going through you know several different dates and stuff before. Like now he's older. They're both older. You know they're settling down and stuff. He's found like the person he wants to be with with Barbara. So like it makes sense uh, for this. Ham also carries over his idea that Bruce and Harvey are friends uh, in this. Now we finally get to see in some form Keaton's uh, Bruce Wayne and Billy D. Williams as Harvey in scenes together. Uh, keep in mind that uh, it's hard to. Uh, conceptualize this in the movie because they look like they could be around the same age, but Billy D. Williams is actually 14 years older than Michael Keaton in real life. Mm. Um, Billy D. Williams is in his 50s when he plays Harvey Dent in Batman 89, which he does not look at. He looks like he still could be in his late 30s or yeah, so. He, he, looks like se- he looks like 70s Billy D. Williams. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that, that's true in, in this comic too uh, mm-hmm. as well. So like they could have pulled off being childhood friends even though there's like a big age difference there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think the Bruce and Harvey friendship is something that we're sorely lacking in Dearly. the uh, the live action adaptations. The most that we got in Batman Forever was Tommy Lee Jones being like, "You've always been a good friend," and I'm just like, "That's all we get." When? When? <laughs> when? I want more. Tell me more. <laughs> oh nope, he's dead. Never mind. Yeah, he's dead. Um, oh, so much then, for that. You know, as we <laughs> talked about with Dark Knight, they're just the rivals the whole time, and Harvey just thinks he's a rich douche. And I'm like, okay, well, we didn't get with that either. So, you know, that's, the, the that's, next... all, that's more of a long Halloween's influence. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's that for sure is long Halloween's influence for that. But it's you know, I, the next time that they bring them in, they better they better have this dynamic because we haven't seen it on film before. Yeah. 
so going into some of the more interesting um, Harvey-specific, Harvey-centric elements, Harvey grows up in Burnside, raised by the mechanic Jerome Otis, who uses the two-headed coin for a different purpose in the uh, Eye of the Beholder storyline that uh, we've talked with John about on this podcast. It was one where the coin was actually from Harvey's trauma, his dramatic childhood of an alcoholic father who would flip the two-headed coin as a twisted game uh, for that night. And it's interesting that Sam Hamm, I don't know if he deliberately is trying to switch this. Maybe we should just bring him back on the podcast <laughs> and ask him. But uh, I'd listen to it. I'd listen to his, he's, a, he's great. He's great. Uh, Ham returns. Like Ham <laughs> <laughs> returns, yes. Um, it seems that he is flipping the script on this. Now the dynamic is something positive associated with the two-headed coin. Now it's something that he used to encourage Harvey to follow his dreams. You know, as we see yeah. here in this this comic strip, it's it's Ed's uh, comic panel. He says, Heads, you grow up to be a big man. Tails, you're nothing but a bum. And of course, it's a two-headed coin, so it's always going to tell Harvey that he's going to be a big man, that he's, he's going to make it, that he's going to make his dreams come true. And that's that's Jerome Otis being a way better father than Harvey's father in the in the traditional continuity post-crisis. Um, so as somebody who was like very much, you know, the, you, you spoke that how the Eye of the Holder was something that spoke to you in a cathartic way with the whole abusive father storyline. What what were your thoughts on this twist, John? What I think is what makes it so inspired is that this Harvey grows up um, already in a very difficult situation when we get we get a little hint of his flashback with his. Um, with um, what he was growing up tra- uh, trying to escape mm-hmm. um, and try and dreaming of escaping from that and becoming uh, you know a big man I think that that instilling that hope in him um, is something adds a whole different twist to his tragedy mm-hmm. to the impending tragedy we all know is coming and I I thought I mean, I thought that was really a beautiful choice for this specific Harvey mm-hmm. in this specific story, considering how, where everything else goes. Um, I was not at all bothered by the subversion. I, th- I mean, I thought it was I thought it was a brilliant subversion mm-hmm. of that for this particular kind of Harvey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it, it surprised me when I got to this point, even even just giving a uh, an origin to the coin in itself sometimes can be uh interesting to see because it's had various different origins for this one but the fact that it was one of the rare or feels like one of the rare positive origins for it uh, in a way was something that I it thought re- was interesting it represents hope to him in a lot of ways mm-hmm. which it does with whole, very tragic with very <laughs> tragic consequences all throughout the story it makes it hurt worse really that this used to be something that was an object of hope an object of so much positive emotions as opposed to something you know, in Eye of the Beholder, that type of backstory sort of gives uh, a, a sort of tragic feeling of destiny or a tragic and feeling f- of fate, you know? And the fact that Harvey said that he always knew that the coin was two-headed, but he still did it because he loved and trusted Otis. It's just beautiful. It's beautiful. Oh, yeah. I love, I love that's that. That's, just, that's beautiful. Again, this is an element that I wish was, like, actually put into a movie. You know, like yeah. they actually did this. But, oh, well. Uh, other things that make this different from the traditional version, obviously, is Harvey is black in this. And uh, as we talked about earlier, Sam Hamm really leans into the, that the fact that this is not just uh, this is not just a different race. This is a completely different type of backstory. One element that um, 
I know Andrew and I discussed before was the code switching type of thing with Harvey. Um, Harvey already has some duality through that, switching between how he talks and acts with people from, you know, the community that he grew up in versus the, like, politicians and rich people like Bruce Wayne and stuff, and he goes back and forth uh, on that. And, you know, again, I see a lot of criticisms on this comic for trying to inject 2021, 2022 politics into something that takes place in the 90s, and I'm just like, sadly, the idea of somebody who is conflicted in his role as a politician, I don't think that is specific to 2022. Or the idea yeah. of police brutality towards black people, that's not really new either. Look at Billy Dee's movies in the 70s, you know? Yeah. Um, There's a lot of times when people complain something's too political. <sighs> I just wonder. That's all I'm going to say. I well, just also, how weird is it to go political for a character who's a politician? Yeah. Exactly. It's really right. not, a, not a real <laughs> right. stretch here, guys. Yeah. It's yeah. just not a it's just not a big deal, man. It's f- totally yeah, it's, it's fine. Kind of part well, of what his role is. Yeah. I was really interested by the fact that, he, that Ham chose Burnside of all places. Oh. He actually ch- chose Burnside, and you know, I don't, I I, I would have I'd be curious to know if he'd read um that Batgirl of Burnside run where that neighborhood was introduced, mm-hmm. um or uh, if he just uh, because I, I, what I find interesting about that. Is that for one thing? Obviously, the name is a very obvious, a very heavy-handed two-faced. <laughs> like maybe thing. it could be a pun. Is what I was it thinking. Could, yeah. yeah, but at the mm, same time, I think yeah, it's that's aw- true. <laughs> I yeah. think it's awfully interesting to take Burnside, which was, let's say, uh, one of the hip neighbor Williamsburg, the hip neighborhood in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. Super, what you're yeah. super, take a super gentrified, white, uh, young, uh, hip, white-centric uh, neighborhood. And recast it as the the poor black neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I thought that added something really interesting that I really I don't know how intentional that was on Ham's part, but I thought that was really interesting. God damn it, we got to bring him back, Ham. <laughs> get back here, Ham. Please return. <laughs> um, I think he's also brought up, you know, because uh, I think he was responding to a tweet about this. Uh, he was also bringing up that some of the stuff that's in here is is more inspired by the L.A. riots and Rodney King type stuff. Like it's, again, like it's totally. He's not necessarily bringing in 2021 into 1995. He's bringing 1995 to 1995. You know, like it's, yeah. it's, it's part of no, he, what it is. Um, Harvey's. He's, a man, he, he's he he's seen history and he's seeing history repeat. Yeah. Plus, like, I mean, our comics are like ways to discuss ideas and themes and stuff, right? And to Mm -hmm. kind of tackle difficult stuff. So, like, at least how that's how I see it. So, and that's what that's what kind of uh, brings the whole medium up to begin with, right? So, people that are complaining about that kind of thing, I it's just I'm I'm just not like that. I'm not like that. I think it's also one where, like, if we're looking at it from a character perspective, it for sure deepens Harvey Dent because he is already split on between two sides before he <laughs> even gets scarred in this. He's split between, like, right. he's technically part of the law and the system, but then, you know, he also sees that people from his community get screwed over by that system, and people from his community also, like, resent him for it. Like, Drake, the, the Robin of this comic, basically just flat out tells him, like, I'm not helping you, you're a cop, mm-hmm. like, that type of thing. And stuff mm-hmm. like that's an interesting dynamic that you're not going to see in regular con, you know, comic continuity with Harvey Dent. Like that's not going to happen with yeah. uh, Harvey between Harvey Dent and Tim Drake or Dick Grayson. Like it's just it's just not part of that, uh, not part of their backstory. It's not part of that culture. 
but that's that's kind of what's in here, and it, it just makes it very interesting. Even this panel here, where Harvey Bullock, uh, off screen, calls him a two-faced bastard because like he's trying to support his community, but in the process has said something that goes against the gops. So, like he can't he can't please everybody type of thing. He's for sure going to piss off one side when he sides with another, uh, and that's that's a really interesting dynamic that I think is a lot more interesting than just oh he's Harvey Dent he's going to clean up the streets. Yeah. The end. You know. And he's. <laughs> And like, and like, while I dislike a lot of the stories, treating him as just an ambitious politician that we see more and more these days, mm-hmm. um, I love the way that that he's ambitious, and but also still does genuinely want to do good, and how that conflict, that conflict within himself, leads all the way through the story, mm-hmm. and also it reacts. We see how it he pisses off people on all sides as he yeah. tries to you know have it both ways have it all ways which i think is very realistic for somebody in that position whether you're you know the billy yeah. d williams harvey dent or if you're the current continuity harvey dent like in, when you're in a political position uh, like you're not going to be in a position where everyone loves you you're just not yeah you know like certain yeah. people will hate you and certain people will love you you know that's just how it is especially these days so uh that's just kind of what it was and i think it's a very smart take uh on harvey um, one thing that I thought was interesting, Harvey does not work with Batman in this. He's trying to bring the vigilante in, making it different from what we end up seeing in like the post-year one era with Eye of the Beholder and, and Long Halloween. It mainly exists as like a made-up backstory that Bruce like proposes to Harvey towards the end, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, just like with other adaptations, there is no Moroni in the courtroom. Uh, though at least there wasn't like some random character named Moroni as a red herring, because <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I come yeah, to hate that at this point. Uh, but <laughs> Harvey gets scarred due to a heroic act of trying to save Drake Winston from an arson attack in the garage where he gets rescued by Drake himself and Bruce Wayne, kind of a you know pseudo Batman and Robin team up before they're in costume together. Um, and during this, he imagines a world where he rescued, you know, he rescued Drake and came out unscathed and became a hero and sort of introduces this idea of Dent believing that he's seen some sort of multiverse <laughs> in some mm-hmm. way. Uh, and that the coin is like his path towards like choosing his way or to guide him around those worlds, which I'm just like, that's a new take on that. I wasn't really expecting that. That's Sam a really like, I, I would, I would see that take if two faces in a flash story or something, but in a Batman 89 comic, that's uh yeah, I got a, I gotta admit, this is a this was an th- idea I was actually thinking about ever since that uh, famous Community episode where they would you got you I mean you've seen the memes with Donald Glover coming in with pizza and everything's on fire. <laughs> yes. Um, the actual context of that episode. Oh is, yeah, yeah. You know, they're sitting up. Um, he um the a character throws a, a six sided die in the air, and we see the multiverse of each different timeline depending on which number it comes up and how it changes things. Mm-hmm. And I thought about, you know, it, it just it was a, it, one, of, one of those one of those silly little fan things I get in my head sometimes. Not just, gee, I wonder if he, if if um, Harvey would be creating a new multiverse every time, you know, a split alternate universe every time he flipped the coin. And that's actually, yeah, <laughs> I had I had forgotten Denny O'Neill actually played with that in a very weird place. He did he Denny O'Neill uh, in two thousand ten wrote an essay for a book for one of those uh for supervillains and philosophy it was one of those essay books oh god i think that, i heard about this yeah yeah and he came up with this really wacky the whole different take where harvey dent is a as a, a calvinist and a super religious and who a guy who admired the the um 
the uh, the, the Spanish Inquisition, stuff like that. Wait, so Calvinists are predeterminist, right? They believe in fate. The fatalistic is hell, I think. I I, I think so, but so don't, that would... don't... Go Don't quote me on that. Don't quote me on that, man. Yeah. I'm not a. I'm, I I do I have not developed my um my Calvinist uh, hyperfixation, but I'll let you know. <laughs> I'll let you know when I when we'll I fall into, when I fall into that fandom. But then near the end of it, Denny O'Neill introduces the idea of Harvey realizing that he can that he can that he can tap into other possibilities, other universes with the coin, mm-hmm. buried in this r- really bizarre take on the character for yeah. some for a great philosophical point. Mm-hmm. And between that and the community episode, I was just thinking, boy, I'd like to see that. I, I could see that. And, see, and seeing it happen here was really interesting. Really interesting, I thought. Yeah. The way, um, I don't know if you're, I mean, my only complaint about it, honestly, is the fact that we didn't get any foreshadowing. Uh, when, yeah, it's suddenly just like, hey, Harvey, remember this talk you heard about the multiverse? I'm like, what, what was this? <laughs> literally, all I would have wanted, because he mentions yes, hearing some blowhard talk about Schrodinger's cat and going, that, that sounds like bull crap, but maybe it's a good idea now. Mm-hmm. Um, all Cal- I would have wanted was just a, just a single mention, a line to, to establish that that had happened before coming up with this. Seems yeah. like Calvinists believe in predestination more than other branches of Christianity. Please correct me in the comments, but that seems to be the case. All right, thank you. Interesting. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. And then, that, then him going from that to flipping the coin for all the other possibilities. Is, well, wait. Would, I, in terms of predestination, then, like, would he really believe in that? Because I feel like he does the opposite with the coin. That is Maybe true. See, th- this is getting real heavy at this point. Denny O'Neill, well, you, you yeah, might have fucked I, up. Well, <laughs> Maybe that's just a background that? and then doesn't really have anything to do thematically. I don't know. I, well, that's the problem. But also, with so many two-faced stories, sometimes the coin will tell us what fate is, and other times it's follow whatever the whims of the coin. There is no fate, depending or on the, the only morality in a cruel world is chance, like that. Type blah, of blah, stuff. Blah, blah. Yeah, 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 exactly, all exactly. of that kind of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. because it all depends on what the writer wants to tell with the character at any, at any given point. Um, but to the I like of a... I like that wacky idea though of like every decision causes a different universe to branch off if there's infinite amount of universes then there's a you know there's just so many versions everybody everybody that makes a decision that actually causes a different branch off on in in the timeline kind of and i think that probably harkens back to some sort of actual quantum theory or something but Mm -hmm. yeah i've never actually thought about two-face in a sci-fi or sci-fact kind of context like that before. to be fair i hadn't thought of it until uh this part in the comic where i'm just like there's a multiverse thing i mean to be fair it can be written off as like hallucination sure easily this, but it, yeah it's, yeah yeah it is one where you're just like well wait a minute why haven't they done an elseworlds type of thing where it's just like what if the coin landed on this part in the story what if the coin landed on the other side in this story like what's you know, it's it's always sometimes predictable where he's like got the gun on Batman and lands on like the clean side and he can't kill him, even though he's got him in the perfect death trap. But then like, yeah. well, what about the time where it could have landed on the scarred side and he's in the perfect death trap? Like he's gonna he's gonna go for that, you know. Which so have, yeah. be interesting Which to see. Plays with us totally later on. Yeah. In the final issue. This so cool. this all mm-hmm. reminds me of like, you know, like in No Country for Old Men and near the end mm-hmm. where. <clears throat> he says she says to him the coin don't have no say and then he says uh the coin and i came here the same thing that brought the coin here brought me here something like that Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. It's like fate brought both him and the coin there. He and the coin are fate. And I always thought that was incredible. That made me appreciate Two-Face more. And I wonder if that's, do you think that was part of this comic in any way? Or has that ever been in any of the comics? Any kind of ideas like that? Well, I think about the also the way she said uh, Kelly McDonald's character, the way she's try, she um, sort of refuted that that it's just it's just did she say something along the lines of it's just you? And she doesn't believe it, but he most certainly does, though, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I I like to believe that he was tweaked in that one moment that he maybe maybe blinked just for a second in his in his life. Yeah, just, somebody that, questioned that, him on it. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that, yeah, that, definitely, I, definitely. I like that, 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 that thing about it. I just, I think about the idea of him, you know, every, every coin toss causes different multiverses. I think about like the time council and Loki from Marvel and Marvel's comics, the DC equivalent, you have Rip Hunter and the time masters just mm-hmm. constantly getting migraines, having to clean up and deal with all these divergent timelines happening mm-hmm. at all times from this one, <laughs> this one wacky little guy with his, <laughs> with his coin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's great. God that's damn great. it, Harvey! <laughs> Rip Hunter comes in. <laughs> he did it again. <laughs> he flipped the coin again. <laughs> well, this entire discussion just shows that this is way better than the other two faces in the other movies because, like, we just don't have anything as interesting to talk about in comparison uh, it's for a this one. Wild, wacky idea he throws in, and then the, the third issue it and, is, uh, yeah. of Batman '89, and it just blows up. It just take takes takes the idea of Two Face to do a whole two whole new levels mm-hmm. that you could play with. For sure, yeah. Again, I feel like there's a reason that when Sam Ham was on the show and we talked about this comic, it was mainly about Two Face. We did not really talk about Catwoman or Robin at all. We talked about Two Face just because I'm just like, well, wait a minute, like I want to, uh, like clearly this is where you paid a lot of attention uh, to this, and this is where a lot of discussion is going to come up. So I, I think it's it's very evident that this was this was something that he really wanted to bring to life now in the comic. And he did. And uh, I was delighted. <laughs> oh, I know. Yes. Uh, let's see. Harvey hides out in an abandoned subway, recruits former members of the Joker gang to steal evidence that will help him blackmail public officials while also, and this is an important part that Ham wanted to put in, he redirects the stolen money towards the communities that he grew up in, in Burnside. And this is a major part that Ham wanted to bring back from the Golden Age comics, way back in Detective Comics 66, where if, you know, when Two-Face in the modern comics, if he flips the coin and it lands on the clean side, he just, like, doesn't kill you, you know? But in the old days, it's just like, oh, if I flip the coin and it lands on the clean side, that means I'm going to donate all the money to the local orphanage. I'm going to donate neutral, it's good. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's just yeah, flat yeah. out good. It's just like, I'm going to rescue a puppy today. Like, it's, it's all stuff that's like, okay, if depending on the coin, he could either be a hero or a villain, not just like a guy who could be, you know, less evil. Yeah, a guy uh, that just doesn't kill ain't exactly a hero. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, it's, not, it's not really even interesting to me uh, that he would just be, new, like, as Ham said, the neutral option as opposed to a good option. Right. It makes him, yeah. it, it just makes him just a bad guy. I mean, I don't know why more people wouldn't want to play with the unpredictability of that behavior. Uh, and especially even, even if you want to call into question whether it's really good or not, mm-hmm. um, if he's doing it because of the coin said to do it the way Ham does. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, on this, and It just makes him an interesting, more interesting character, and it harkens back to the original Jekyll and Hyde inspiration origins mm-hmm. for 
this character. You know, it's 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 one where it it continues to play with the dichotomy uh, of this and and shows that like there's a lot more to this character than just as we said, like being neutral and if I flip the coin, it's clean heads. You'll you'll maybe survive the next two hours. <laughs> like it's yeah. a lot more interesting this way. Yeah. Uh, Two Face also discovers in the story that Bruce Wayne is Batman and has a confrontation with Bruce in the cave. Where um, we don't pull up the the main comic, but the comic uh, switches in terms of showing you what could happen uh, depending on. I mean, we know what really happens, but it almost shows you two different scenarios in terms of one in which uh, Batman and Catwoman get taken out by Two Face, and one in which Two Face himself gets taken out by Catwoman in a way, or in as much of a way as we're shown, he's he's hanging on by this uh, by this wire here, and Catwoman uses the whip to basically cut it, and he falls into the abyss below, which presumably is where he dies. However, we didn't see a body. We didn't see a body, so who knows? Maybe Two Face could come back. Who well, knows? Ham, not- Ham also made it um, clear early on that the injury he was already he was a dead man walking. Oh yeah, that's true. That, so I mean, I I was I'd love to to survive. <laughs> Me but, too. I don't. I, I'm not betting on it myself. I'm just saying. <laughs> and also, really, I mean, I feel like the poor guy. This is about as happy an ending to him as he thinks he, he could have. The way this goes. Look at this face here. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. He he, yeah. Uh, he dies happy. I guess. <laughs> it's so Thanks, damn sad. Catwoman. <laughs> no, dude, I. This is a time where I, I realize it's not actually Michelle Pfeiffer playing her as a comic, but like this is a time where I hated Catwoman when this happened, because I'm just like, oh, come on, like the, we were so close to actually almost resolving this in a way between two friends <laughs> and stuff, and she just completely fucks this up for him, which I think is the whole point. I think this is intentional on, on Ham's part, but like I'm just like, if you wanted a way to get me to hate Catwoman. This is a way to do it. <laughs> she, she really fucks this whole thing up. Here she comes uh, to ruin everything. Yeah. So overall, uh, as we said before, way better Two-Face than what we got in Batman Forever or in the last 15 minutes of Dark Knight. So <clears throat> I guess we can sort of close this off with overall thoughts on the Billy Dee Williams Two-Face and any elements you wish we could see in the uh, next version of Two-Face on film. I guess I could go first, then we can go to Andrew and then end with John uh, sure. on this Uh since you're the uh, Two-Face authority here. But I'd say, um, you know, Billy D. Williams is, like, he had the range to do it. We just never got to see it, unfortunately. And <clears throat> even in Lego Batman movie, he just, he always seems to get the short end of the stick, just like the character, I guess. So no wonder they seem to be a perfect fit. But uh, I'm glad that they got the comic series for this to sort of show us this. And in terms of the main elements, I wish to see for the next version of Two-Face on film, the Bruce and Harvey friendship, they got to have that. Like, I just, no more of this rival shit over, like, this, they love the same girl. Just have them be friends. And then um, play around more with the idea of him having redemption. You know, like, I think it's weird to me that Penguin is the one who's, like, known to kind of play both sides in, in both, in a way, and is, like, the one who's always the informant to Batman, where I'm just like, shouldn't that be Two-Face? Like, shouldn't he be the one who's, like, all, you know, kind of sometimes helping Batman? And stuff. So, like, that's kind of what I'd I'd love to see. Sort of the the antihero version that um, that John mentioned. So that's kind of what I'd like. Over to Andrew. Yeah, I mean, I don't have anything more to add than what I said in the beginning, as far as like such a presence for a villain 
And mm-hmm. whenever you told me that there was no Batman 66 version, I, I, I had to think to myself, like, damn, really? Like, I mm-hmm. just I couldn't believe it because I thought, I, surely he must have had an episode, but but he didn't. Like, that's just the kind of presence the characters always had in my mm-hmm. mind. And John, I, lo- I, I really love seeing like passion for like non main characters. I mean, he's the main villain, <laughs> but he's not, he's a villain. He's not Batman. You know, he's not even an anti-hero really. <clears throat> he's a straight up villain, but you, you really connect with this character on a really deep level. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I like seeing that. And if there's anybody out there in the comments or whatever, like, let us know if like Clayface is your favorite, Mr. Freeze or, like, and we're talking like favorite, favorite, like John's John with Two Face, like mm-hmm. not just favorite yeah. villain. You like him more than Batman, you know? Like, <laughs> like let us know if there's a character out there. I'd like to hear, you know, stories like that because you know it, we all know everybody likes Batman and everything like that. But to see, mm-hmm. you know, if there's more people out there like John, that'd be interesting to see. So, uh, so yeah, for sure. All right, John, overall thoughts on Billy D. Williams and elements you wish to see in the next version of Two-Face on film, whether that's the Reeves verse or whoever comes after. Well, first, on Batman 89 and Billy D. Williams' likeness, at least, being in this, I really feel like the I it was a tantalizing look into an alternate universe where he could <laughs> yes. have played this. Because mm-hmm. after seeing those films, too, of his, I could actually totally hear his voice throughout us. I could hear yeah. his voice and how he could have played all of this perfectly. And maybe he even could if they did an animated uh, adaptation uh, of it that was faithful, as best as faithful as it was to this book, rather than just, you know, hauling off and doing its own thing. Mm-hmm. He could, I wonder if he could, if he could still bring the, bring, do like Shatner and bring a late period vocal performance to it. I don't, mm-hmm. I would, I'd hope so. I don't know. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Um, well, the thing about this book is that, um, I overall with Batman 89, Ham had so many ideas. <laughs> he had so many ideas and not, and it killed me that he did not have enough space to do it. This book could have gone for 12 issues. With, you could have just, you could have just spread it all out to 12 issues because there's so much crammed in this. And I'm grateful for that. Cause I've read too many comics where <laughs> whole issues can go by where, where basically nothing happens. Effectively. Maybe <laughs> That's a, true. there's a, there's a fight scene, but <laughs> yeah. no, no, no <laughs> yeah. plot progression, no ideas. Pat, it's either it's, it's padding or it's just focusing on action. Whereas this is packed to the brim yeah. with ideas. And especially in the last issue, it's just, it's, it's so tight that uh, Joe Quinones's art can't even breathe at times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I'm all saying this from a point of love. I just, I, I wanted mm-hmm. more. I, I, I'd wanted this to be expanded to, to even more. Um, what it really showed me was that someone could actually approach Harvey Dent as a lead character, as a character with his own arc, with mul- multiple levels to his character, not just serving a plot purpose to be a co-crime fighter or a, guy, or a um, supporting character who goes bad and then becomes a gimmicky villain, mm-hmm. but someone who actually has an inner internal life and has a character arc and is com- is complex and is complex as a person, is complex as... Um, a vehicle for thematic ideas and symbolism. I mean, this plays with so much 
uh, social commentary and 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 quantum physics and yeah it that it you could i i i feel weird saying i shouldn't feel weird um to still think that you could have a, a two-faced solo movie in an era where we not only have the joker but we also have the penguin show coming out soon yeah, and that, there was an announcement as of this recording from Hollywood Reporter saying that there are discussions on a lot of different spin-offs for the different villain characters, some of which were not introduced yet in the in the Reeves verse, such as Clayface. So Yeah. And Professor Pig. <laughs> yeah. I that was that in too. Hollywood I'm Reporter. I'm less excited about that one, but yes. I'm yeah. I'm not excited about it too much, but like the fact <laughs> that it's in Hollywood Reporter, it's that's some real discussions being happening happening apparently about I'm saying that, clayface which... yes scarecrow that's like horror movie villain yeah. who's like even more legit i'm down for yeah. those yeah oh yeah I, I i i have always believed and i now still believe more than ever really that two-face should honestly be a solo movie character because he's a protagonist and an anti-hero in his own right who even in some of the, even even in some of the best case scenarios, like I imagine he's just going to always be secondary to whatever is going on in mm, Bruce's mind mm-hmm. at the time, and we are not going to have enough time to really spend with him as a character with um, whatever ideas they want to explore with his downfall and rebirth and maybe possibly redemption, because it would be about Batman's feelings and Batman's perspective. Mm-hmm. So mm. I would love uh, a Harvey solo story. Preferably with Bruce as this at with the Batman being the supporting character, or focusing on Gilda, or just something else. But I feel like he's strong enough, and this I mean Ham, Ham threw so much into this. He proved it to me that the character is strong enough, especially with someone who cares mm-hmm. and is thoughtful uh, about the character's history and potential, to do a satisfying standalone, maybe tragedy, maybe a redemptive arc but a full story with, with Two-Face as the lead. So I'd love to see that. Again, again, I, I don't, I, I, all these years, I don't, ex- I don't expect it, but who knows what, who knows what um, Warner Brothers, um, even with their current situation, uh, <laughs> if they are truly willing to throw everything at the wall to just crank out stories, as Mason Point care, the way, the way Sony's doing with Spider-Man, where we're getting a, um, <laughs> We're getting a luchador movie about a character who appeared in one issue of a Spider-Man comic written by Bad Peter, Bunny. Peter, Peter David. Yeah, that, mm. <laughs> um, oh yeah, it's Peter David again. Um, yes. Wait, this a, they're making a movie about who again? About, uh, Is, isn't he? A, he's, he looks like a luchador. I'm not he's sure. a luchador. He's going to be played by Bad Bunny. I forgot the name because people are just like, why is this a movie for? He was. He Dude. was in one issue, and but but again. Maybe, maybe we'll. <laughs> Meanwhile, see Black Cat has still not shown up in live action, except for you know Felicia Hardy, that bullshit, and Amazing yeah. Spider-Man too. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's just yeah. state of the world these Man. days. In the meantime, Morbius has his own movie. Let's just <laughs> and we're and we're getting young hot Madam Web also too. Yep, <laughs> that too. Yep. Yeah. That's happening, dude. Yes, Sony is but... Sony is worse than WB at times, but that's a that's another story, man. So yeah, maybe maybe they'll if they have if they if Warner Brothers still has money to throw around at anything, <laughs> um, then I will happily um, take uh, them throwing money at among the many spinoffs a possible Two Face Solo mm-hmm. project. I'd love to see it dearly. Uh, I'd be scared to see how they'd handle it because I've seen them handle it badly so many times. But I, hell, let's 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 give it a go. Let's let's see what they would do. I I'd much rather see that than yet another 
uh, version where he's just boiled down, simplified to just one or two supporting roles or mm-hmm. being overshadowed by a villain. Just yeah. shoot the works. Let's see what happens. That's what I want to say. There's the challenge to Warner Brothers. And with that, that is super villain <laughs> stuff you should know. Big thanks to our research assistant, Dan, for the visuals on this. And as a quick post credit scene, our patron, Logan Wood, did this mock-up of Arnold Schwarzenegger as Dr. Manhattan, <laughs> as potentially considered back when Sam Hamm wrote the Watchmen script. So someone, you know, Andrew asked for audio. If you got a good Arnold impression, yeah. give us one of Dr. Manhattan's speeches in the Arnold voice. Oh, I'd love to hear that. <laughs> and we'll put, it, we'll put it in the podcast. Incredible. Like, like, it, it is 1982 or whatever the it is. Insert, <laughs> insert year. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm standing yeah. on Mars. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, all right, on to the my fan di- comments. My big blue dick. <laughs> <laughs> on to the fan comments regarding an episode where we covered another comic book character who has issues with uh, abusive parents, repressed, repressed trauma, anger, duality inspired by Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the Hulk. So, uh, Christian Garcia commented about uh, our... Uh, talking about how... Um, Bruce Banner's name was changed to uh, David Banner in the 1970s show and the whole legend of that and Stanley saying that it was because they said that uh, the name Bruce was too gay. That quote. Uh, <laughs> so ridiculous. That makes me crack up every time, man. It's just so dumb. It's, just, it's dumb, yeah. Uh, yeah. Christian says, the whole name thing on the TV show depends on who you ask, I guess, because Stan Lee said the reason he was given was that Bruce sounded too gay. Again, this is like 10 years after Batman 66 was a hit. Like, Don't tell me you can't have somebody whose name is Bruce as a main character. Um, Kenneth Johnson said the reason he changed it was because Bruce Banner is an alliterative name. He thought it sounded too comic booky, and he wanted to get away as far as possible from the source material. Uh, I mean, it is one of the most iconic Hulk adaptations of all time. However, it's usually a recipe for disaster when you're trying to straight away as far as possible from the source material. Do you remember when uh, Hasselhoff played uh, Nick Fury? Yeah. I remember yeah. They, they said they wanted to get rid of the White Temples for that because that was just too comic booky. And <laughs> you look at the rest of the movie too. If you didn't, <laughs> like if you really, see, <laughs> that that was your that was the bridge too far. <laughs> yes. Christian <laughs> um, says, and the Universal, as far as I know, only have distribution rights. Marvel does have the production rights, but if they want to make a Hulk movie, it would have to be distributed by Universal instead of Disney. And Disney, of course doesn't want that. You know, as I said on the show, I don't think it's Universal who is holding up trying to make a Hulk movie. I think they know. They have the rights to it. I think I just don't think it's from their end that it's not happening. They got the uh, rights to Scar, though, baby. Uh, yes. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> uh, the way they work around that is using the character in other movies. Supposedly, the distribution rights will revert back next year and is the same case for Namor the Submariner, as we'll see oh, in uh, yeah. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. So... Uh, all right, next one. Okay, so we put it. We put a question out there, and we can ask this to you, John, in terms of like uh, if people prefer the 2003 Ang Lee Eric Bana Hulk, uh, or do they prefer the 2008 uh, Louis Luterrier Edward Norton Hulk from the MCU? Uh, it looks like our fans are big fans of the Ang Lee version. John Gauthier says uh, 2003 Hulk is still by and large my favorite theatrical version, with uh, four people liking his uh, his comment here. Um, I know that you've read a lot of the Hulk stuff, John, in re- somewhat in relation to Two-Face, since it also deals with, uh, you know, duality and abusive parents and stuff. Um, do you have your own personal favorite, like, Hulk movie? 
Look, I gotta, I have got to rewatch Incredible Hulk because I saw it in theaters. I, at the time, was mm-hmm. uh, I, I viewed, I viewed Ang Lee's Hulk with a great affection. Mm-hmm. I th- found, I thought, I considered a noble failure because uh, mm. it tried he tried mm. he tried playing with comic book um layouts and tried also bringing in some weird um personal drama and psychology mm-hmm. that didn't fit in the comics but it was his own weird take on the on it and also threw in hulk poodle as well <laughs> andrew's favorite <laughs> and i and like and i loved that's I the loved, failure part <laughs> the rest of it was noble. That's the main part you remember too. I remember yes. you telling me, <laughs> dude. I oh, I man. saw I saw it once in the theater in 2003. <laughs> I have not seen it since then, so yeah. I I just really only remember bits and those. pieces. Yeah, I, if... I I love the scene with Banna and uh, Nick Nolte and just mm-hmm. the dark prison cell together pairing off, and someone described it as um uh this is a you know literary theater reference. Ooh la la, uh, August Strindberg's Hulk. Uh, and I like that comparison that it was, you know, a, it was like a black box theater, dramatic interaction. And then Nick Nolte literally chews the scenery. <laughs> he literally takes a bite out of the scenery. I'll go. <laughs> you just watch me go. I gotta see this again. It, but then I re- tried rewatching it a few years later. When I, yeah. um, and I just couldn't get through it. Even my affection couldn't mm. get me through it. So I, uh, I mean, I, I, it was better left in the past, honestly, because as that, I remember, I, I think I rewatched it hell back in like 2012 or so. And the MCU was in full bore. And at that sure. time we were starting to get comic book films that felt like the comics. Yeah. And, and I felt, and it, it, it didn't, it didn't hold up as well, even as something I can, I can like on its own merits and appreciate for what it tried to do. Um, at the time when I saw Incredible Hulk in theaters, I thought it was I thought it was a much more competent all you know not a competent but um, a more solid film. Mm. Um, Ang Lee is the absolutely a competent director. <laughs> no one can dispute <laughs> right, that. Right, right. Um, but it was a much more it was a much more solid, straightforward film, and I did dislike it on those merits. But I've known plenty of people uh, who love it and think it's underrated. And I'm well past time to give it another evaluation now that I've actually since then read a lot more Hulk comics. I've read through, I read, I was so into um, Al Ewing's Immortal Hulk run that I, hell, I had to, I had to go back and try to read everything I could. Mm-hmm. And I, so I, I'm in a much better position now to try to, uh, to appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to give it an, another go. So that's basically where I'm at. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, we've also been asked by one of our fans, Paul, on uh, Twitter, saying, just listen to this on podcast. Guys, you spoke a lot about Hulk 2003, which is hardly ever referenced. If you guys do end up rewatching it, can you please do an episode slash deep dive? I would love to hear more on this movie. I actually like it, and it has an Aussie lead actor. All right. Well, cool. I guess the people have spoken. We've got to rewatch this movie. <laughs> Even though John just told us that it's better off left in the past. No, no, <laughs> no, no. Rewatch it. Let's tear into it. You, you guys tear into it. I'll, I'll totally listen to that. I, I mean, I, 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 I'm down for that. I'd, I'd love to hear that. I feel so like I'm just going to mainly do it to dive into the Peter David novelization. <laughs> oh, that, we sh- I should read that. Right. Of course. Uh, right. Right. Uh, I remember okay. loving it. Yeah. Well, that that is a man who has very strong opinions about what the Hulk should be. So I'm sure there are some tweaks Mm-hmm. that he did i mean oh yeah. there was a lot it was it, it just felt like oh the movie is based off this book yeah like that's what it felt like oh wow yeah. okay he will they really def- give those authors like free reign huh 
Yeah, it seems like know? they just there was no editorial. They're just like, yeah, just write it like you know, put stuff in the from the movie in it, and you can add whatever. And Peter David just like, let me proceed to write the dark and tragic backstory of Bruce and his father for like the first fifty pages of this novel, which is like <laughs> maybe five minutes in the in the movie. In the f- is it better than the movie? Pretty much. Oh yeah, I remember reading it that summer afterwards, being like, holy shit! Like I was just riveted. I loved it. There was so much stuff that that was to it. And then I like whenever I watched the movie afterwards on DVD it was like it didn't live up to it but like if I could just inject the stuff that I remember reading in the novel then it was like better but that was only because I read the novel are you telling me there are 50 pages of dad of bad dad <laughs> angst and I haven't read it my <laughs> god eBay I've got god. to get on then to eBay you go <laughs> I gotta get on that shit <laughs> to be fair I've not read this since 2003 so oh, my memory boy, could I'm be gonna, hazy <laughs> I'm gonna get and I'll be eating well yeah <laughs> I'm ready and raring. <laughs> Woo, I, I, got both, I got both Peter David novelizations of both Hulk movies, and we'll we'll dive into those, especially because like the Incredible Hulk movie was also somewhat butchered in the edit. Uh, so that's another Batman Forever type of situation. But uh, you know we'll cover that because apparently we're also going to be uh, we're a Batman and Hulk podcast now. It seems <laughs> so. It's just Bruce, Bruce stuff you should know. <laughs> Bruce stuff. <laughs> it's true. I felt I, like Ang Lee had like. From what I remember, anyway, he was like good at the thematic elements, the deeper stuff. Mm-hmm. But then the Leterrier version just had ho- the whole clap, boom. Yeah. You know, like it had cool <clears throat> action. So, like, felt like maybe Terman, Terman might have the best Terman ver- one. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. outside of outside of him, if you were combine like the deep thematic elements of mm-hmm. Ang Lee's with Leterrier's like cool action, then now we're talking like that's a fucking Hulk movie, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Didn't Edward, didn't Edward Norton do the Edward Norton thing and kind of hijack it and add its own scenes or something like that? Wasn't there some? Where I think so, but it might have been like the stuff he added might have been stuff that was actually like legit. I don't. I, I'm trying to remember what stuff, but I, I've seen an extended cut of the movie that that's I think was supposedly leaked by the director himself. Um, I, I'm <laughs> got to reread I'm, on this, but. The main thing I remember from that Leterrier one is the fucking Hulk clap, dude. Like, I was like, that's what I need. I need that in my life. You know? Well, came back in She-Hulk. Came back in She-Hulk, yes, which people were talking about the twerking. <laughs> Causing another clap. That's true. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well. Be careful with, with great power and whatnot. With great responsibility. <laughs> with your claps. Um, all right. Well, that's it for the fan comments on the Hulk stuff. Over to Andrew with the the uh, fan shout out. Thank you, everybody. Um, yeah, I have this pulled up. Where the hell is it? Here we go. All right. So, thank you, everybody, for those comments. Uh, you know, uh, to get out here up on this board that you see here in the visual, that's a one dollar tier. Um, I'm jumping ahead for some reason, but anyway, we want to thank um, uh, some of our newer people, which is Darren F, Billy L, Yusuf A, Kevin R, Derek O, and Mark M, and our other supporters as well. Thank you very much. Uh, that's a $1 tier. Gets you the shout out there. And then the $5 tier gets you a whole other show. Uh, this show right here you're watching is every Monday, free on YouTube and all your podcast outlets. And then uh, this $5 tier show is on Patreon only, and it's every Friday and uh it's more just more deep dives um and a lot of times it's uh like we would say the monday show is a deep dive 
but then the mm-hmm. Friday show was a deeper dive. So if <laughs> you can believe it, we've gone over the religions of Krypton and the moons <laughs> yes. and uh, so, so, Wegthor, right? We went, uh, we went, we spent like maybe 15 to 20 minutes on Footlight Frenzy, the movie that's outside the theater in uh, Batman 89 <laughs> when Bruce's parents were killed on yeah. what that was. That we, talk- we ended up releasing that at the main show, but still just an idea. <laughs> The showtimes <laughs> that were on the, <laughs> the showtimes that were on the poster <laughs> on the marquee and everything, yeah. So and what that, time they must have, what showing they must have seen. If you <laughs> cannot live without this content, you're gonna have to give me a part of our five dollar tier, and then our ten dollar tier gets you all of that plus a monthly meetup, which uh, you meet up with us monthly in a Zoom like call, and we uh, interact, we we have a conversation with with uh, with the listeners, and. Uh, and a topic at hand as well. So there's that. Uh, and uh, yeah, so we have merch, ever, ever dwindling merch at Redbubble and Threadless. So superhousepod.redbubble.com and superherostuff.threadless.com. Ben Man and Deed Wizard Zacula shirt, shower curtains, mugs, and all that. Artwork by Stefan Santa Cruz. Please send us some audio that uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> as Dr. Manhattan. Dr. Manhattan audio, please. It can be in the show. Or anything at all, just like uh, if you ever listen to another podcast where they're like, you know, love the show, guys, or that last episode sucked, or, you know, whatever, like send us something, uh, you know, in audio form, um, just email it. You can use your voice recorder on your phone and just email straight away to superhousepodcast at gmail.com. I'm Thunderwolf Drew on Instagram and Twitter. Thunderwolf lives on YouTube. Thunderwolfdrew.com has my whole portfolio, except for amanorecon.com donate today it is out it's up finally 60 day campaign the four dollar the four the four uh minute pitch video that i've been holding back for so long it's out everybody so please it's uh think of it as you'll see it in the four minute thing but it's r-rated bloody power rangers meets x-files and stranger things mix it all together look at this in the poster we have evil men in black if you haven't noticed that and then we have aliens and then basically more or less power ranger shit but it's (laughs) but it's r-rated and bloody so there we go um check it out and uh this lovely poster by zach zachary jackson brown art.com gaming gaiden has been out for a week now uh, that's my other podcast. So many new endeavors this year. Um, mm-hmm. This is a podcast that I do with uh, Mike Torres. He was on. He was a guest on this show uh, where we ranked Superman video games, which was painful. But uh, but anyway, this is where we interview um, Japanese to English translators in the video game world. Uh, so really highly niche there. Mm-hmm. And uh, we discuss translation, Japan, Japanese culture, and video games. So there it is, Ben. Uh, shout out to Comic Capital on Instagram, as well as the Everything Entertainment Club on Clubhouse. You can follow us on social media on Twitter at Superhouse Pod, Instagram, Superhero Stuff Pod, TikTok, Superhero Stuff Pod, Vero, Superhero Stuff Pod, 
My website is benwanrider.com where you can read different scripts, a Gotham script called Gotham Vampire where young Bruce faces off against the Mad Monk. Unfortunately, I could not fit Harvey Dent into that one, John, so I know you won't be reading that. Uh, but the special <laughs> for elementary called Call the Death out. of Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> a modern update. <laughs> the Death of Sherlock Holmes is a modern update on the classic story, The Adventure of the Dying Detective. And uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Disneyland, the Curb episode they could never make where Larry David goes to Disneyland. Somebody, uh, please, people out there, please read this. I want to see comments <laughs> on, on this also. Please do. Uh, yeah. My YouTube channel is in the description below where you can also check out Doctor Who, the Ronin of time, an audio drama I write, narrate, and edit with the eighth Doctor meeting Miyamoto Musashi in ancient Japan. My personal Instagram is Ben Juan Ryder. My son's Instagram, my cat is Alfie Pennyworth Cat on Instagram. And if you have an Alfie or a Peanut or what's your name, what's your cat's name, John? Uh, Dipsy. 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 Oh, Larry. Did you need a whisker box? He or she? <gasps> uh, he. He's he. A he, yeah. So if you have a Dipsy or a Peanut or an Alfie or any cat yourself, then you can get the whisker box. And we have a promo link somewhere that should get you uh, a deal on that. And if you have a dog instead, <laughs> that's cool too. We got the Bark Box. Y'all give your dog exactly what they want with the Bark Box. First month off. Free valued at $35 if you use our promo link. And that is at superherostuffpod.com slash shop where you can get all sorts of stuff including a keaton batman funko uh we took off the ezra miller flash but you can get a flash uh comic book for the celebration of 75 years as well as in the amazon affiliate link all sorts of good shit over at superhero stuffpod.com slash shop uh john where can our fans find you you can find me on Twitter at about uh, dash faces and on Tumblr at about dash faces. And very, very occasionally, if I ever get back to the old dust off the old live journal, I can be lurking on there <laughs> now and then. But uh, I probably shouldn't have mentioned that because that's very embarrassing. So just forget that I mentioned that I uh, will occasionally still write on live journal like an old man. <laughs> I can't believe that shit's like so old at this point. <laughs> I had I had a live journal. <sighs> Better times. Not they were different times, different times. Well, they do have a lot of your insights into all the different uh, Two-Face stuff, and it is something that I had uh, been reading before we met and uh, before I did the show even. So uh, definitely check those out if you're fans of, um, of John and, and his insights into Two-Face or the Two-Face character. So that is uh, the About Faces live journal. And uh, I think that'll just about do it, guys, on this so, one. So uh, flip a coin, and hopefully if it lands on heads, tell all your friends about us. There it is. So so go 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 do it, please. Thank you. <laughs> and, if it, and if it lands bad heads, tell twice as many friends. <laughs> Woo!